Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. To inform the people of Argentina that Eva Perón, spiritual leader of the nation, entered immortality at 2025 hours today. Hello, all theatre lovers, both out and proud and on the DL, and welcome to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theatre's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called The British Invasion, and it is covering the shows that originated in the United Kingdom and then transferred across the pond to our Great White Way, some making a giant splash and some barely making a ripple. I am your host, Matt Koplick, the least famous and most opinionated of all the Broadway podcast hosts. And with me is the best Patty Lapone impersonator this side of Patty herself. Please welcome Jonathan Hoover. Hi, Jonathan. Hello, Matt. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Uh, how are you I'm- today? I am great. I'm actually like way too excited about this, um, which that means is- that I probably should get a job. Um, but like, <laughs> um, but this, uh, I've been looking forward to this all day. That was a wonderful backhanded compliment. <laughs> Patty would be so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I've learned a lot. Now, I truly mean that more in that like I sitting at home, I like I should, but as a musical theater nerd, boy, I can't wait to talk about all the Avas that I know and love and can name by name. Well, so Jonathan, what what British show are we talking about then? Oh my God, did I not? Um, I I did, I did not. I did not open the door for you. That um, we are here to discuss a show that's had a huge influence on me. Clearly, uh, Evita by mm. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Jonathan, what was your history with the show? How did it come across your radar? 
Um, so funny story, like my first gay best friend before, like we knew that, um, was this kid Dennis and he was obsessed with Madonna and I was obsessed with musical theater. Um, and so was he, but like there began this crossover of the movie being released and I heard the name, but I was like 12 when the movie came out, 11 when the movie came out. And so he got, because he was obsessed with Madonna, he got a pre-screener to it. I wasn't even, I think, aware that a movie was coming out. And so we like went to the mall and like waited in line Mm -hmm. and got to see it like months before it opened with like the opinion thing. And I was like, what is this show? Um, And then immediately went to, you could go to uh, music stores and listen to CDs before you bought them Mm -hmm. and went and proceeded to like listen to the Madonna, but then the Broadway recording and was like, wait a second, this show is actually in my range. Wait, wait, like (laughs) all of the music is up a half. Who is this? I knew who Patti Lapone was because I knew Les Mis and uh, uh, Life Goes On, but like this is this, she is un, unreal vocally in this show, and my yeah. like little gay head exploded, and that is that is how my history with Evita started. And it's been t- a toxic relationship ever since, one might say. I mean, uh, the amount of cast recordings that I keep is certainly an abusive, like, <laughs> thing I have to make space for. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I think, love it or hate it, you have to make room for Evita just in general, if you are a fan of musicals or if you're just gay. Yeah. I mean, it's a woman who dresses super well, belts really high and has a super dramatic story. And then she like dances a little, like give it all to it. It's made for homosexuals. Yeah. It's dynasty meets gypsy. What's not to (laughs) obsess over. (laughs) Yeah, correct. Yes. The shoulder pads are there. Yeah. It's, and we'll get into it, but like, there's literally a song that's just two and a half minutes of politics, but make it fashion. And it's just, ease and ease and ease that's right. the purpose of the song but so i also got into this through the movie first because my father worked in film and we got a lot of swag when i was a kid and like when i say swag usually it was like a t-shirt a tote bag like things that nobody ever really wanted but sometimes we would get cool shit like a uh the vhs of something awesome from disney or eventually dvds and occasionally soundtracks and so he had gotten the Avita soundtrack with Madonna, the two disc one with, you know, her face and silhouette and the black and the uh, banners of Ava and Perone in the bottom. I waited in line at Virgin Megastore to get it the day it came out. I know exactly what you're talking yes. about. Because there, there are a couple of uh, major posters for that movie. There's the one of her and Antonio and sort of like, it's not black and white, but it's like um, sepia toned or whatever it is. The, the waltz for Che and Ava. Yes, where she does the yeah, like yeah, hug yeah. behind him. Yeah, mm-hmm. which was on the cover of a lot of VHS VHSs at the time, which is an awesome image until you watch the movie and you're like, I'm not quite sure what the move is supposed to represent, but it's a great photograph. Uh, yeah, the one I have or had was just her head in silhouette. You know what I'm talking about. With the, I believe the, a few like protest, not protesting, like support yeah, the signs. Like, yeah, the banners were like, the bottom. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We know, we know. We're gay, we're gay. It's in the Bible. Um, <laughs> it's in your handbook when you join the club. They're like, here are all the different posters they had for the movie version of Evita. Whether you liked the movie or not, you need to know all of them. Um, um, something I'm thinking about, not to interrupt your story, but mm. it's funny because the internet wasn't really a big thing at that time so like 
being able to research all of these images and like it really mattered when it came into your life and like we found this because of the movie because there wasn't the fucking internet to be like oh what what shows did Andrew Lloyd Webber write since I love Phantom and Mm -hmm. continue well so interestingly enough like I came into middle school and high school you know as the internet was really kind of taking off because like I had the internet in elementary school obviously yeah it wasn't it wasn't what it is now and I cannot describe when I was in high school like the anticipation I had for the Dreamgirls movie and my dad literally got me a subscription to Variety because every week or so they would release a new like for your consideration ad campaign for Dreamgirls before the movie even came out which would include a million new images that weren't available online because Uh know movie studios weren't really thinking about like oh better get this online so people can post it about wherever like it would be in print for a while and then eventually someone would scan it and it would be online but like i would cut them all out and put them on my wall um so i had a database to like look at it all um so that said i i listened to the soundtrack a lot i enjoyed it a good deal i saw the movie i thought it was fine i didn't really think much about it madonna didn't mean much to me as a kid and then I saw it at theater camp when I was like 13 and I was like, oh, and that we're talking like with teenagers doing it. Some who were very talented, some who were only okay. But even then I was like, oh, this show is way different than the movie was. And in a way that like, oh, a lot of this makes a lot more sense to me. And then I bought the Broadway cast album and then I came out the next day. Okay, this actually gets into, I told you uh, when we were emailing about this that we would talk about who my favorite Ava Perone is, so Mm -hmm. I hope. Um, But uh, when I was 15 or 16, a girl that I had met doing community theater randomly went and auditioned for the mistress as a 15-year-old and ended up getting Ava Perone at like a local little CLO. And so I went and saw it. Um, and that girl is Annalisa Vanderpool. From, oh shit! Uh, from fucking uh, that's so Raven. But at 15 years old is still to this day one of the best Ava Perones I have ever seen. I had a friend at 17 who also was one of the best Ava Perones I've ever seen. And maybe it's because they're uh, you, you have to take on this like fearless sort of like, okay, I'm diving headfirst into this. Or maybe it was that I was also 16. So like imagining doing, I would love to look back on it, but uh, I've seen it since. And it, uh, she still, I like remember her turning around for the, you think that I'm a I was like, it was one of those, like, you know, when a star like t- enters the stand, you want to clap. It was, a, she, she just like, she killed it. What better way to transition into the history of this than right here, right now? Uh, Jonathan, for our listeners who uh, aren't gay or not necessarily as well versed in musical theater, perhaps they know Mean Girls and Heather's like the back of their hands, but not necessarily Evita. Mm. What is the musical Evita about? 
Ooh, okay. So it is about a young woman who grew up in the poor area of uh, Argentina, going to Buenos Aires and eventually like making her way, sleeping and conniving from to being an act, a model to an actress and then from an actress to a politician, no, a military man's wife who ends up becoming the dictator of Argentina through a military coup. Um, and then she dies of cancer. And her name is? Eva Perot. And she was a real person, yes? Correct. Yes, yes. I guess I should cover all of that. That, yes. that. This is like real history, which going back and watching the movie, uh, I watched it after January 6th, not even like mm -hmm. thinking about it. And I was like, oh my God, I've loved this musical. And like watching troopers like storm the politicians and like them running around, I was like, we almost like we almost faced that. Like I've been like enjoying her beveling, but huh, she they were a he was a dictator. Argentina, I think it's pretty safe to say, had a very tumultuous couple of decades with its government. It just a lot of whiplash back and forth. But yes, Eva Perón was once Eva Duarte, uh, actress, and then she married an officer named Juan Perón, and then he ran for president, which. Yes, basically, officially president, unofficially dictator. And so she became the first lady of Argentina. But the thing to remember also is that she became extremely beloved of the lower class, uh, known as the descamisados or the shirtless ones. They thought of her as a saint because she was sort of the first person in Argentinian government for at least a long while who really paid attention to them and gave them a lot. Uh, as we will get into with the show, it came at a cost to the government and to the country, but she really, you know, did a lot for them. And so there were millions who uh, still think of her as a saint, even though there are many more millions who think she was the devil. And when she died at the age of 33 of cervical mm -hmm. cancer, like had the most epic funeral ever, like was on the front page of every newspaper because like it lasted for a week because uh, millions of Argentinians wanted to pay their respects and like flooding the streets and fireworks, like insane. Um, and then her body disappeared for, what was it, 17 years? Yeah, 16 or 17 years. <laughs> it's, it's it's a wild story. And, and it's true. Uh, the show and the movie both have some liberties, but overall it's very true and that's the most insane thing. So let's get into how we got ourselves a little Evita. I will begin. And Jonathan, any time you want to chime in, go for it. The listeners know that I love to speak, but I also love having the conversation. As we mentioned, the show was by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber. The show was the idea of Tim Rice, who is responsible for the lyrics and the book. And by book, we mean sort of the structure of the show. And then there are a couple of written passages by Rice. Around 1973, the two had just had a really big success with Jesus Christ Superstar, which was a concept album that then got uh, staged on Broadway and then all over, the, all over the world and then in the UK. The album was huge, huge success. And they're looking for their next project. And Rice was in his car listening to a radio program on the life of Ava Perone. And before all of this, Rice's claim on Ava was, you know, all I really knew that she was on stamps and she was good looking and she was dead. Or sorry, let me do that in English accent. She was on stamps, she was good looking and she was dead. But he was really taken with the story. He's like, this seems really overly dramatic and operatic. Like this feels like uh, right material for a theatrical piece. 
So he went to Andrew Lloyd Webber and he was like, this is our next show. And Andrew Lloyd Webber said no. He said, I don't like this. She seems really unpleasant. Besides, we literally just did a show about someone who rises in the ranks, gets really famous and dies at 33. We literally just did that with Jesus Christ. I um, had never put that together. Like, even though I'm fairly, uh, fairly familiar with both shows, I had never mm. put together that they are the same trajectory. But so basically, Tim Rice was like, I really, really want to do this. I think this is our next thing. And Angela Weber was like, well, what about that By G's musical you uh, came up with? Like, that would be a much better show and rice is so like, good right so good yeah by jeeves is um based on uh works by pg woodhouse and blah 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 point is is that tim rice was like yeah that show seems stupid why don't you work on that i'm gonna do research for this avita thing and when you're done with jeeves we'll work on avita and weber's like fine so he uh weber works on by jeeves with alan akeborn who wrote the norman conquests it opens in 1975 it bombs on the west end and so Weber comes back to Rice. He's like, okay, I guess I'll write a Vita. And one of the things he talks about is Angela Weber had a really hard time when they were writing it, getting excited about it. He couldn't find a way into the show until he kind of thought about when he saw Judy Garland at Talk of the Town back in the 60s. He saw her sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow and she could barely get the notes out. She was forgetting the words and the audience was booing her because she was, it was, you know, Talk of the Town is infamously like Judy's last uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. event and it apparently started okay and then it just descended into chaos and uh, Weber said I really wanted to hark back on that of this icon who where the where her signature song was both her moment of triumph and also her moment of like rock bottom which is how that he decided to use don't cry for me argentina both at the top of act two and then with ava's final broadcast and once he had that he was able to be more passionate about the show while they were getting the album together in 1976 they always knew they wanted it to be a stage show and weber really really wanted hal prince to direct it because when cabaret opened on the west end angelo weber saw it was obsessed with it and he was like whenever i do a show again i want it to be that man so they send hal prince a demo uh the show like they're still kind of getting the concept album together they're making changes they're figuring stuff out hal prince listens to it and his first thought was any opera that starts with a funeral sounds good to me and because <laughs> the show opens with ava's funeral and as i mentioned you know millions of people were there and hal prince was like how do you get a million people on stage and so that was something that really intrigued him, but he had a lot of thoughts and he wrote to Rice and Weber a 3000 worded document of all of his notes on the album, things that he liked and things that he thought needed changing. And Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice were sort of like, um, thank you for your thoughts. And, <laughs> uh, we'll talk another day. And Hal Prince was like, oh, fuck, I messed that up. And then the show, uh, so then, sorry, then the album comes out with Julie Covington singing the role of Ava and Colm Wilkinson. And Colm Wilkinson. I still, yeah. that kills me. Yeah, Colm Wilkinson is Che in this. And the album is a huge hit in the UK and all over Europe. Not so much in the States, but like does okay. And particularly the song Don't Cry For Me Argentina is a really big hit. It's covered by Karen Carpenter and Olivia Newton-John, which is like, tells you about the 70s. Like I'm, as much as I love that song, the fact that like that was a radio hit like just well, as and I think it actually probably comes from the fact that I don't know how to love him actually was really primed for that pop world after it made that sort. So I feel like it was just pop stars being like, oh, we should get on that next like female ballad that's coming yeah. out of the way. Like, uh, cause 
what is that song? It's barely about anything in the show. Like, yeah, <laughs> which is sort of, but that's also sort of the point of it in the show. Which we'll, we'll get into, we'll get into it. But um, yeah, like out of context, it really doesn't mean much. It's just like a fun song to sing. And if you're a Ish. good, I mean, I, it doesn't go as high as the other stuff, obviously, but like, I will say it is a beautiful melody. Um, but like, especially with someone like Olivia Newton-John, it doesn't even approach her ceiling of her vocal range. So I've always wondered like, why did she love singing it so much? I just can't help but hear like, don't cry for it. Like a, like, oh, an Austro- that, like a harsh Australian I, accent. Like Kevin Zach's. Don't cry. Yeah, Kevin exactly. Zach's, oh no, yeah, with yeah. So Weber and Rice go to help Prince's office after the album has come out and they're like, Hey, so our album's number one all over Europe. Uh, maybe you want to direct it now? He's like, oh, I thought you guys hated my notes. I'm like, no, we just, we needed to focus on the album. But also like, now that it's number one, maybe fuck your notes. And Hal Prince was like, no, I've got 9 million Tony Awards. My notes are, are law. So they spend about a year developing the show while Hal Prince also works on, on the 20th century. And then 1978 rolls around and they get to work on the West End production. Something that is going to be a running theme for this episode with Evita is the question, who will be Ava? Robert Stigwood was the producer on the West End production, the Broadway production, and the concept album. He also, speaking of Olivia, did the Grease film. Oh. Um, Yeah, and his like whole MO with promotion for the show where literally wherever it went was like who's going to be Ava Perone mm-hmm. and discussing sort of how the role was like the meatiest role in musical theater for a woman since Mama Rose possibly even like more so and it really required like a musical theater actress of amazing skill and range and oh, it's very Scarlett O'Hara like who's it gonna be they say that in one of the documentaries you sent me that she uh when Someone with, who gets it yeah. yeah, with Elaine. Yeah. I didn't want to ruin it if it was one of your... Spoiler alert. <laughs> it ends up being one of the page. <laughs> um, but that's sort of the thing was like, because they... And who knows how much of it's true, but like the rumor mills were going around of like all these major pop stars, movie stars, and that just always can, kind of keeps on happening. Uh, and so when they went with Elaine Page, everyone was like, who the fuck is that? Uh, Elaine Page had no, had no major career before this. She was in a couple of... Uh, West End shows. She was in the ensemble of By Jeeves, I think. She was definitely and Cats. in the ensemble. Of, and uh, well, that was after. Oh, Cats the, is after. No, Cats And she is wasn't after, even the ensemble of that. You, gay card revoked, Jonathan. Jesus. I'm uh, sorry. It's been, Cats is not the one that no, I Cats is not the one. At all. But she was an ensemble gal for a while. And she was cast as Ava Perone because Julie Covington, who did the concept album, said no. She said, I will ruin my voice if I do that eight times a week. And I mean, I'm surprised she didn't ruin her voice doing that recording. That recording is... It's insane what she does on that recording. So Elaine Page gets the role. It opens in 1978 at the Prince Edward Theatre. The reviews are pretty glowing and the show is a huge phenomenon in the UK. It runs for over, uh, for almost eight years, uh, over 3,000 performances. It wins the Olivier or whatever it was called at the time. I think they changed it to Olivier by like the 80s for uh, both Best Musical and Best Actress. And then it's announced it's coming to Broadway. And first, Weber and Rice were like, well, clearly Elaine's going to do it on Broadway, right? And Actors' Equity was like, uh, we've got some pretty good actresses here. I don't think you need to bring your gal over. And Robert Stigwood's like, I got this. We're going to do another Scarlett O'Hara thing. And Hal Prince kind of got off on discovering talent. He didn't really like to do the whole like, big stars in his shows. He liked to sort of be like, look at this person I found for you all. 
So it was I wish like, we still did that, honestly. I know. We sometimes do, just not We do every now and again. Yeah, not but... nearly as often. And uh, to be perfectly honest, when we quote unquote discover people, I find only like one out of every 10 times is it actually someone interesting. Totally. Um, Very true. Not naming names, but like I don't find as many personalities on Broadway as we used to. I honestly feel like the last time it really happened in a major way is Sutton Foster. And that's an, that's like an accidental, she 100%. was a cover that, that kind of story is always the Peggy Sawyer story yeah. is always great. Well, especially like, yeah, that like immediacy of her becoming a star, because I would, I think the last, for me, the last uh, musical theater performer to become a star that I find so interesting and special is uh jesse mueller but that was a more gradual thing yeah 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 like it was sort of she came onto the scene in a show that nobody cared about and then she sort of maintained maintained and she was sort of this like everyone was like this girl is really special and one day she's gonna get her due so when beautiful happened it didn't necessarily make her like a household name but it made her a leading lady and broadway was like finally it's jesse's moment Totally. Um, now she's leading lady. Whereas Sutton, it was literally like night and day. And you know what? Now that I say it, uh, Ava Noblezada also sticks out to me as someone mm. who has, uh, in the, few, the two times I've gotten to see her on Broadway, mm-hmm. um, is a formidable talent that I can see taking a career yes. the full... I think, I think Ava's going to be more of a Jesse Mueller because Ava's now had two major parts in shows, but like Again, you're you're absolutely right. Sutton is really the last time where it was a person that most people didn't know, and then overnight everyone knew her. Totally. Um, but honestly, with Broadway, we're going we're going into that Sutton story kind of overnight as well because, as I said, Equity was like, no, Elaine Page ain't coming in. Find yourself a new gal. The publicity machine's like Meryl Streep is interested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that young gal who's uh, who got nominated for an Oscar for uh, Deer Hunter, she uh, she's interested. And then weirdly, Charo was uh-huh. into the- mm-hmm. which throws me for a loop. Apparently, Priscilla Lopez was up for it as well, and Margaret, crazy enough. But I think with the reason why all these, if, if any of these actresses actually were auditioned for the role, the only reason they had gone into that audition room with anything resembling confidence is because the concept album was not as big a hit in the United States. So these women probably had no idea all of these songs existed. Like they might've known Don't Cry For Me Argentina and Meryl in like 79 is going, yeah, no, I can definitely sing that. And then she hears Rainbow High and she was like, "Mm, no, not eight times a week, bitch. Uh, (laughs) But so it does eventually go to uh, one Miss Patti Lupone. And if you read her memoir, she talks about how she thought she had no chance because all she had was, you know, a Tony nomination for a show nobody saw and the baker's wife to her name. And she goes in to her audition and she sings and Joanna Merlin's like, okay, uh, make yourself available for the final callback. And Patty's like, oh, maybe I have a shot. And it doesn't seem as effortless until you find out that Elaine Page went through eight rounds of callbacks. <laughs> right. Elaine Page auditioned and had callbacks eight times before she finally got the role. Patty had an audition and a final callback. <laughs> like, Although to be fair, like this is uh, in theater history from a vocal standpoint, like one of the first times that we're asking, like Barbara took us from the Merman to the mix, mm-hmm. um, but Patty is the first break into like what we do now, this like high full chest mix rock, 
create like where does that this score so if she walked in where lane page does not felt like that like no. well so you're don't give away the farm too much because for, this is this is all going it's talking about the show this is going to talk about the leg sorry i'm sorry i'm very no. i'm very excited i'm very excited too i'm trying to barrel through this we keep going off topic Let, let's finish this fucking history let's get to opening it on broadway but no you're absolutely right in all this we'll talk about it i swear to god we're going to talk about this more in depth but yes patty gets cast she's pretty much an unknown like only a couple of theater people know her and in fact there's even a moment there's a playbill section back in the day when like you used to do those like uh write into playbill questions do you remember those mm-hmm. um, like ask playbill and you'd open your playbill and have like three questions about the season uh-huh and one was like i was reading names like meryl streep and faye dunaway were up for evita who's this patty lapone person and P- playbill's like patty's been a working actress for a couple of years uh she has a tony nomination for the robert bridegroom uh and hopefully she'll be good <laughs> like it's very like i don't know but uh don't write her off just yet and they go into rehearsals and all seems okay. They go to Los Angeles. So they decide to do an out of town tryout for the summer because Hal Prince has some ideas of how he kind of wants to tweak the show. They got criticized in London for glamorizing Ava a bit too much and being a little too wishy-washy in how she was portrayed and being a little too sympathetic. So when they came to Broadway, Prince was like, okay, so she's gonna be an uber bitch. And Patty also talks about this in her memoir. She's like, oh, I wanted to have some sense of humor. And Prince was like, no, I don't want you to ever smile. And I want you to have gnarled fists the entire time. And she was like, Jesus Christ. So they go to Los Angeles, the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Patty loses her voice during the sits probe. Uh, She barely makes it through the run of the show because they're also recording the cast album at the same time. She loses her voice on the final performance. Her alternate has to go on for her, Miss Terry Klausner. San Francisco happens, kind of the same spiel, loses her voice, gets it back. A member of the ensemble sort of helps her through the score. And her timeline of when she gained confidence vocally has changed over the years. If you read interviews with her in the 80s, she says uh, basically she did not feel confident with the score until right before they left San Francisco. And then you ask her now and she was like, oh, the entire time. I wasn't confident until Australia. And but we'll go. Well, again, we'll go into more of this, but I'll just say and this will come up with Sunset as well. Like her experience is her experience. Her memory of her experience is her memory of her experience. Her memory is not necessarily the fact. There are multiple people who are in that room and everyone has a different perspective on it. Uh, And on top of that, I have audio of her opening night on Broadway where she's like, I had the flu and I wasn't confident. And I'm like, that's the best you've ever sounded. I mean, I I was listening to it before tonight and was, I mean, they are all singing. Yes. That whole recording is so good. And she is killing it. And it's not just us, like the 1800 people in that theater are living for her as well. You can hear, like the audience response is insane. Yes, yes. They leave San Francisco and we get to the Broadway theater and the show does finally open uh, September 10th, 1979. What happens after that, we'll get into in just a minute. But now let's get into the show itself. Ah. Um, so yes, we mentioned this before. How does the show open? It opens in, uh, well, it depends on the production, but the original is like a cinema 
and we stop the movie and somebody comes in and says, ladies and gentlemen, Eva, Dua- uh, Eva Peron is dead. And then the <laughs> curtain comes, the, the screen rips down and like we go into a funeral march with one of the craziest clashing gray Jesus Christ superstar corded mm-hmm. requiems with everyone singing in the rafters of their voices. It's, and I believe the wording is a, uh she entered immortality, which is like, ah, so correct. it's so specific to word it that way. It's like, it's almost like a PR stunt. Like um, she didn't die. She entered immortality. <laughs> I guess that's a much nicer way to say it when you're sure. talking about someone that people have like turned into a saint. I can't help but Americanize it in my memory and just be like, she's dead. She's she's dead. She moved to the city and now she's dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want. I always wondered why it opens with the cinema because I thought it was because the original production, which then was replicated for years, had the movie screen. But it's part of the concept album as well that it opens with uh, people of Argentina in a cinema. Literally, the first track is called "A Cinema in Buenos Aires." Was it? Uh, July 26, 1952. Like that's literally the title of the first track. Well, I mean, I feel like when you think of large events like that, Mm -hmm. uh, that's how it interrupts normal life. Like you have that, like, so my guess would be that it's the, the, so that you as an audience member don't know what you're in for. And then it's the shock of like you seeing someone's died and that person meant a lot. So you're like, on the side of the people already. Mm-hmm. That, that would be my guess. Yeah. And you see the pain it's causing everybody and uh, the mass hysteria of this whole country and mourning for this one person. And if you don't really know much about Ava Perone, you're sitting there going like, Jesus, who could cause this kind of commotion for their death? And it, it leaves you with a lot of questions already, totally. which the show claims it's going to that answer for you. But the way that it's staged in the original, and I say this because Hal Prince's staging was very important to the success of the show. There was a giant movie screen that was sort of uh, behind everyone on stage. And it was very Brechtian set design, like scaffolding, lights exposed, uh, black velour. Lights in the floor. Lights in the floor, yeah. A circle with a semicircle going through it. And as everyone is sort of sitting in pain for the beginning, which is the, like the, da, 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 mm-hmm. da, which we'll know what that melody is referring to at the end of the show. The screen projects close-ups of people from Argentina that exact week of her funeral, like literally in mourning. And then it shows you the grand funeral procession as the whole orchestra comes in and the coffin comes out and everyone's crying. But then, just as it hits mass hysteria, it all stops. And who turns around but Reddit Thread Incarnate, Jay. Do you know why I call him a Reddit Thread Incarnate? Uh, Because he was kind of uh, uh, a super berating progressive opinion. Well, not the Che Guevara the person, but Che the character. Just because he's there to be a commentary commentator on the pretty much, thing. yeah. He's he's sort yeah. of the human equi- Che in the show is the human equivalent of um actually, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which I, we love him for, depending on who plays him. But it, I remember when I saw the movie, I definitely was like hot as Antonio Banderas is. He's kind of a buzzkill. 
he kind of keeps coming I, in and being like this bitch and i'm like what's she doing um i also like uh remember trying to figure out who he really was and because there really is che guevara and that's like the the idea that mm-hmm. this is based upon was very disenchanted to find out that they didn't actually know each other and that they didn't ever waltz together unfortunately yeah it's, it's- <laughs> yeah so che is the narrator of evita everyone for again those of you who don't know and it was originally written to be Che Guevara, especially if you listen to the concept album, because there are more specific references to him being Che Guevara. Because Che Guevara was, uh, I guess, like a, around college age or the time that Ava Perón died. And yeah. when Tim Rice discovered that, he was like, oh, well, I'm sh- I know he was anti Peronism, but uh, maybe he was more anti Peron when she was alive. Who, who's to say? I don't know. He'll be the narrator. And so it's all theatrical falseness but uh for the sake of storytelling he is our insight into the story and then in later versions the movie and then all revivals he's just che what a circus so what a show argentina has gone to town over the death of an actress called eva perron We've all gone crazy, morning all day and morning all night, falling over ourselves to get all of the misery right. What, what is it you look for in your Che then, vocally speaking? I want passion and a really great, like strong, unworrisome top range. You want an unworrisome top? Yeah, because it's got a fucking whale in there. And I'd want it to, I want an unworthy. I hear you. I hear you now. I hear you. I hear you. I get too intellectual at times. And then I realize uh, that we're human. I just did a little Santa jig that no one can see. <laughs> um, an unworrisome top. Debatable. Debatable. It depends on the day. You know what I mean? Like, some, who doesn't like a little danger? Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's speaking of little danger. That's what I want in my Ava. So truly, so truly, you like the passion. What else? Gosh, you know, I, it's one of the characters that I consistently feel like I've not seen the right person in when I've mm-hmm. seen it. It's like, I, I don't know that I, I wish I could have seen Jason Gote because he looked uh, really wonderful in mm-hmm. all of the press stuff for encores. But I'm trying to even think of who has like a vocal quality that I would want. I actually did not hate Antonio Banderas. He has the help of a studio, but like, I prefer that to a nice, clean well-produced yeah antonio is definitely uh i would say my second favorite jay after mandy on the album because Mm. mandy on opening he's already starting to have some mandy isms come in yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) she still made a fabulous impact but my any issues i have with antonio in the movie are not antonio's fault it's more about how the movie frames him so yes i personally like i with all my productions of evita i really want as you said passion i want a hearty belt in there and there needs to be a little bit of danger and i've listened to jason gote and the encores production i didn't get to see it uh and i understand that there was a lot of visual there were a lot of visual components that really helped the storytelling, but I will say vocally, it was a very clean 
mm. surrounding Che there and because and because Che is do, doesn't go that high. His weirdly, Che's highest song, weirdly enough, is Goodnight and Thank You. Yes. Um, everything else he doesn't really go past a G. And Jason, you know, has a B in him, like not like just off the top of his right, right, right. So there's the no dan- no danger. Exactly. Mm. In the same way that um mm. while I do love me some Flo Lacey as Ava Perone, like it is very clear she can go up to like an A flat, maybe even A. Oh yeah. And so like her rainbow high doesn't necessarily do it for me only because like, it sounds good. It sounds clean, but I'm like, you've got another four steps in you. 1000%. Although why I love her is there, she never mixes. She like, she, there is never one moment in that score. It was, mm-hmm. I saw her play Irene Malloy um, when in 1995 as mm-hmm. a young kid. And I remember I'd only ever seen the movie of Hello Dolly and just being like, this woman is eating me. Like as she was like, all right, like screaming screaming ribbons down, down, my, down back. my back yeah and like i was like who is this and then nerd alert i like went to um not even colony music but footlight music that used to exist in the village where you could get all the like niche cast recordings that's why i have like 10 of avita so that i could get my florence lacy Nash, they made an album of like 14 of her songs, probably because they were just like, we need to preserve the loudest bitch doing this. But like, I, it's not that she's my favorite, but I am like stupefied by her singing this score. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is crazy. I mean, it, there is, okay, so you, you brought it up. We'll, we'll just get into it because if we don't get into it now, I'm going to forget about it. With Avita. And Randy Graff has talked about this uh, on the webs as well. You can he- you can hear her talk about it with Seth Rudetsky if you want. The style of singing and what was expected of singers pretty much changed that day because <laughs> literally, yeah. Because up until Levita, we had people who belted and people who belted high, but they were sort of anomalies. The closest we had to like a leading lady belting her face off all night long was Barbara and funny girl, but, but funny girl kind of sat on C's and a couple of like D's all night long with, you know, Barbara will do some isms and then pop into an ear and F if she wants, but like, that's not necessarily how the score is written. Um, and then we had Betty Buckley in 1776 walk on roll belts. He plays the violin goes off. Well, and she also gave us that Judy Kuhn, like Cosette belt where it's like, this is in soprano range, but you're like, you're kind of, you're belting like the, she, it, it's still not quite what a Vita is. Well, so the thing with Be- Betty does not have a soprano, does, or I should say, Betty does not have a head voice. <laughs> right. Betty Buckley has never had a head voice. She never will have a head voice. Never. So, so she would belt notes that should have been in head voice simply because she just had no way of flipping into it. You can even hear it. And he plays the violin when she tries to like flip into like a light head at the beginning and it doesn't mm-hmm. like, it's just not uh, you think to yourself like, Oh, she doesn't have much voice in her. Um, and it's simply like, no, that, that part of her register just has never translated. Her whole body was like, Oh no, you're going to chest up to an F because what else are you going to yeah. do? Judy Kuhn is a little different for me because I don't think there's anything Judy Kuhn's voice in her, in her prime could not do. Both head the voice. The fact though that she mixed, she she mixed 
belts Cosette. Like, do not tell me that as a soprano. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, well, so she I was a, she'll Rebecca flip Kane up to fan. a soprano. She'll flip up to a soprano in Heart Full of Love. But like, yes, in my life is full on chesty mix, which is why she's the best Cosette. Because it's not like right. this flutter. I'm a I'm a Rebecca Kane guy. I I can't help it. I'm well, that London. was a nice interview. I guess we're done here today. Um, <laughs> no, I totally get that. I totally get why you like Rebecca Kane. I think the reason why I like Kuhn's Cosette, in addition to the fact that I'm a Kuhn whore, uh, there's not a thing she- Sing, full sing. There's nothing she's sung where I've never been like, no, it's everything she's sung. I'm like, yes, please, forever and always. But I think because Cosette on paper can be a little bland in one note if you play it boring one note so boring or or a bitch like (laughs) judy just like has this sort of lightness and darkness about her at the same time like and she's vulnerable she's very vulnerable she's got this gorgeous smile and these sad eyes and so she can Mm -hmm. smile and break her heart at the same time so her cosette was wonderful in the sense of like this woman who like People always forget that older... I don't want to get into it too much because I have a Les Mis episode to do. But people always forget that older Cosette and young Cosette are the same person. So whenever people are right. like, fuck that privileged bitch Cosette. It should, Mario should have gone to Eponine. I'm like, remember when Eponine's parents enslaved Cosette as a child? Like, Cosette didn't have it easy her whole life. Like, she she was she was given a second chance by God. Um, but, but, okay, I have a Evita-related question in go for relation it, for to so off topic. How... But how did how did that ever happen regionally? Do we know? Because I would live to hear Judy Kuhn sing. I don't think so. The fucking score. Uh, Audra got to and Judy didn't. Uh, we'll get so we're gonna get it, we're gonna get into all of this at the end uh, with with okay okay with, I, keep with I keep jumping I keep jumping but but needless to say with Lamez and Cosette Judy Kuhn is really good at playing like the sadness as well as the lightness which is why her Cosette is great and she has a lot of edge to her voice she doesn't go all flighty soprano she has some chestiness to it which is to say with my Avitas with my Avas I need that edge and I need some danger my hot take is I'm not entirely sure if I love the score to Avita or if I just love hearing 1970s coked out Patti Lapone sing it um <laughs> right because like no Rainbow High has done it for me other than hers, especially like her opening mm. night. Like just I'm pissing myself when I hear it in the same way that I say, like, I don't listen to anyone sing Dead Girl Walking other than Barrett Wilbert Weed, which makes me mm. think I don't think it's a good song. I just like hearing someone where I go, oh, they can't go past a C and then they hit a D or E clear as day. And you're like, fuck me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so with Patty and Evita, Going back to, you know, how everything changed, like we had Melba Moore, we had Betty Buckley, but like, again, these were sort of anomalies, side characters who would come on, belt their face off and then go off. Or like, that's not really where it's all going. That's for, you know, maybe they'll write it for like a specialty song for like that one voice. But then Patty comes on Broadway with Evita. And as you mentioned with Elaine Page, like Elaine Page did not belt the entire score. Elaine Page didn't even mix the entire score. There were times where she would just full on head voice. You listen to a new Argentina with her. And there's she a reason it's cut off that cast recording. The, yep. If you buy the old cast recording, that song's not on there. No, it's or her section nerd alert. Yeah, nerd yeah. alert. Her section of there's mm-hmm. not on there, but you can hear full blown audio from it on YouTube. First of all, the tempo is deadly, and second of all, she's all in head voice, and it's just not interesting at all. Um, Patty belts everything that Julie Covington belted on the studio album, but she does it with the ferocity of an actual Broadway belter. 
like if Merman had those notes, she hits it like Merman would, which makes it even more thrilling than Julie Covington for my money. And totally. Vito was oh, absolutely. Julie Covington is painful a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's a very specific rock pingy sound. You know, it's all very in the nose and yeah. there's not a lot of vibrato and consonants are cut off quickly. But and again, I don't want to get into it too much because we're going to discuss more with the legacy, but because Evita was such a big hit on Broadway, that's what kind of gave it the impact. And then sort of, you know, Dreamgirls came immediately afterwards and then Cats after that. And then it sort of became like hit after hit where our big songs or our leading ladies hitting the roof of their range. And that carried over into the late 80s and into the 90s. And that's just now where we are at. We're now in a little more clean pop sounding era which is better. Well, for we've Oprah. produced, yeah, I was about to say, we produced eight times a week singers. We used to hire characters that had it and then just deal with the fact that they didn't show up at all eight times a week, even Bernadette, yeah. you know, yeah. like they, they are known for turning it out eight times a week on those scores. But now the expectation is you're the, you're the vehicle, you're the thing. So you mm-hmm. got, you've got to be there. Yep. And I've discussed it before on the pod and I'll discuss it again in a bit, but um, it's both of that is the show. And also that is now social media and expectation and the internet being everywhere. What is your favorite song in Evita? Like what's the one that you come back to the most? Oh man, I have a few. So I, I like, I, of course, Rainbow High is probably one of the most, uh, the one that I would like listen to all the way back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but vignettes in this show really stick out to me. Like for some reason, the to think that I'm as famous as you are. Like that's, that's, yeah, that's something I love to do in the shower. Also, mm-hmm. I'd be surprisingly good for you, parts of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have to say overall, I'm going to, I'll stick with Rainbow High just because it's the most thrilling number uh, in terms of vocal performance and like tour de force, like absolute leading lady aboundness. It's almost like a Rose's turn. Yeah. It's Rose's turn at the top of Act Two. (laughs) Right. Right. She still has 40 more minutes of show to get through. Um, Right. Yeah. And and what about you? What's your. Honestly, probably Rainbow High as well. Um, that and maybe Buenos Aires. Uh, but like, mm. th- I think, okay. So if Rainbow High or Buenos Aires are, are my favorite songs, there are moments in each song that like is a favorite moment of mine. Totally. Yeah. So like for me in Oh What a Circus, uh, my favorite moment of the song is actually the second time the prayer comes in. So it's after Che has done his whole rock, like, uh, uh, your uh, queen is dead, your king is through, she's not coming back to you. Then there's a pause, and then the women start to sing the prayer again a cappella. And it's, mm -hmm. first of all, it's a haunting vocal arrangement, and I appreciate that Angela Ripper has not changed it since the concept album. Queen is dead, your king is through, she's not coming back to you. I love it on a musical level, but it's also one of the few times in the show where I do feel like without making it overt, 
Rice and Weber have actually dramatized the um, double-edged sword of the situation of like, yes, Ava was not perfect and in fact did a lot of awful things, but the pain that these people are feeling is very real. So while we have... We have Che as the human equivalent of the comment section, you know, with the receipts and screaming at everyone like, don't you fucking get it? And then the people are like, they don't, we, they probably don't even hear it. It's never clear how much of it they actually hear it. But when they come in with that prayer, it's like, yes, what Che is saying is true, but also like the pain is, is also Still true. real. Yes. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's in, in a moment where in a show where I feel like there isn't a lot of that duality, I feel like the show is a little heavy handed at times about like what you're supposed to be feeling and what you're supposed to be. Uh-huh. Um, and even when they're like, but which is it? Like, it, like which one is the truth? It's like, we know what you want us to think, like, stop it. That's right. a, that's a, and, and, and also in a show where they don't dramatize a lot, it's a lot of telling, not showing. Uh, that is a totally yes. And we'll get into a lot of that as well. That is a moment where I'm like, that is literal showing, not telling. And it's, I, it hits me every time. Now, Ava Perron had every disadvantage you need if you're gonna succeed. No money, no class, no father, no bright lights. There was nowhere she'd been at the age of 15. As this tango singer found out. We, we have Ava's back in Hunin, which is where she's from with her family. She's 15. Uh, Augustine Magaldi, a tango singer, is performing in Hunin and is having an affair with Ava, and she is forcing him to take her to Buenos Aires with him when he finishes his gig in Hunin. The level, the balance of power is different in the stage show as it is in the movie. In the movie, you know, she's in love, they're gonna go run away together, only for him to run off with his family, whereas in the stage show, she's fully using him, uh, oh. which I appreciate a whole lot more. I like her having more agency, uh, that said, I understand why they do it in the movie because they wanted to make Ava more sympathetic because the stage show is very unsympathetic to Ava almost at every turn. It was actually a part of, I remember Rosie O'Donnell being uh, hosting Madonna and Madonna talks about they got to film in Argentina, but one of the like stipulations of them allowing them to be in the Casa Rosada and all those places uh, was that they had to make it have a more favorable light so that they could like turn around and show it to their people and be like, look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, still alive well. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, on one, right. Yeah, Peronism. And on one hand, I like it because Ava in the show is very one-dimensional, as is truly everyone in the stage show. The show is a Brechtian cautionary tale of how power and success corrupts. But the downside of that is you don't really feel much when you watch the show. The show is very exciting when done well, when staged well, when sung well, it's very exciting. You don't feel anything. I also will argue, while I think it's a great night of theater when all that falls into play, I don't think it's particularly a very good musical um no no definitely not in terms of changing anyone's lives or giving us a lesson well i just don't think it's a very well written show in terms of musical theater storytelling there's a lot of gaps that aren't filled and a lot of things that don't make sense unless you have a good director to make it clear for you which is why hell prince was so uh important for the success of the show at the beginning his staging tied everything together and made everything make sense and made everything exciting. And a good director can make any good show great, but a show's 
success as well as a show's ability to make any sense should not be because of a director. It should be there already. Right, um, hinged on a director, maybe in a, uh, your Ava. Yeah, um, like, yeah. If your Ava's only okay, your show should not be like a miserable two hours. It should still be able to be like, okay, like she's only okay, but I can get through the night. Like that's- Oh man, if she's not belting for me, I've got to go. I've, yeah. I've got to go. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> but um, but not even just belting, like a very specific kind of belting. Like I can't. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There was uh, not to get into uh, too much of the legacy stuff, but one of the things that you sent me uh, a regional production, mm-hmm. the girl that plays Ava, and that I'm like, very good. You're very, but this is this is too just like I am a Broadway singer, like clean and like pingy. And I'm like, that's not it. That's not it. I don't I believe know, she took over a country. Singer. Um, <laughs> do you remember what clip it was that I sent you? You don't have to say the. Uh, it was. Uh, um, it was from. Uh, well, it's hard to. What, what to was say the without, song? Uh, you remember the song? Uh, you sent. It's a full production. Yeah, full regional production. Although you had it clipped to. Yes. Good night and thank you. I might have been because it was a full production with Prince's staging, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, yes, that's yes, why. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, it was yes. a late '80s production that used all of Prince's staging. That's what it was. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because I want, because while the bootleg is wonderful, it does not give you the real scope of what his staging was, and that's right. very helpful. But going back to what you're saying about like sort of the the funk in Avon Magaldi and that to think that a man. So if you listen to like the concept album, then the Broadway album, and then the movie soundtrack in a row, you hear. Evita at its weirdest, at its most uh, concise, or at its most um, uh, fully formed, and then at its like most smooth. And yeah, totally. Like totally, they smooth out all the all the weirdness for the soundtrack. So it's like really pleasant listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, like, there are some yeah. moments in the soundtrack that I do prefer, but like again, like only just moments. All the weirdness is taken out of the movie. Totally, the funk, the rock. Yeah, I mean, you listen to "Good Night" and "Thank You." And the, like the harmony that they do for Antonio and Madonna, like they sound awesome together. Like they really fucking kick that song about. There is no one, no one at all. Never has been and never will be a lover, male or female. Who has in denial? In fact, they rely on tricks they can try on their partner. They're hoping their lover will help them or keep them, support them, promote them, don't blame them. Same. However, when you listen to the Broadway version and you're like, oh, oh, oh yeah. like, oh, so their harmonies are actually reversed. Antonio is singing the Ava line because Madonna can't hit those notes. So, and it, and then it works for them because it has this nice, like pure, smooth, poppy sound that's really fun to listen to. But then you listen to Patty and Mandy and who and everyone else mark sires is magaldi and those other guys with that like full-blown orchestra going it's so weird but broadway at the same time whereas the concept album is just pure weird there is no one no one at all hear that funk and the 
to think that I'm mad. And also when you hear with Madonna, you hear the constant key changes. Um, uh-huh. Like there's literally a, uh, there's two key changes like within a line, I think, because you have the, now if I don't get carried away and it's supposed to go like, monotony passed, suburbia departed, who could ever get kicks? And in the movie, she's like, now if I don't get carried away, monotony passed, suburbia departed, who could ever get, uh, ever be fond? It's like just three different keys in the course totally. of the And it, it doesn't really work. And yet it also is like really smooth, even though like, what's that? You desert the girl you love, which is like so short and sweet on the soundtrack. And then you hear it on the Broadway cast album where it's like up the octave. Clearly Nancy Opal is one of those family members in the ensemble because like only uh, Nancy, oh, yeah. only Nancy can hit that. Yeah. <laughs> Notes are just like, Andrew, what are you doing? Like what uh, you- Patty Lapone uh, in an interview said that she thinks the two people that sang the score the best are Florence Lacey and Nancy Opal. She was like, I was never one of them. Like that could just come out and like well nancy mixes a lot of it or at least the one audio i've ever heard nancy mixes it that same i agree but uh although i wonder if that's like also an insecurity coming from pat like seeing her after her and then being like oh did i ever handle it that well patty is a weird beast because she both has a lot of confidence in herself as an artist and yet not a lot of confidence in herself like in her actual performances but also only like when when she's successful is she ever like i don't know if i was ever really that good and then like when she's maybe not given great notices or she doesn't get a tony nomination she was like i thought i was good i think i was undermined by this person totally yeah so like with avita while she like is very uh, self-deprecating it's also because like for the last 40 years she is a Vita, like totally an icon because of it. And 1000%. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's crazy to me that she says that, but I mean, I also do like that. She gives credit where it's due. She like shines lights on other Ava's. Um, Oh, absolutely. Especially two that I would say aren't necessarily household names. Yeah. Um, Although I guess there weren't really many household names that went through that. No, the, Patty was the only one who ever really got famous from playing the role uh, because she was the one who opened it. Um, yeah, so something that's interesting to me. So how much about Ava's life do you know? Like Ava Brown? A, a decent amount because as a kid, the movie came out and like the Barnes and Noble bargain section was like all her autobiographies and things. And I, be, I was obsessed with knowing yeah. how much of it was true and how much of it was not. Yeah. Well, so that's the other thing is uh, Tim Rice based a lot of his lyrics on a biography on Ava called uh, The Lady with the Whip or Woman with the Whip. Mm. I can't remember which one it is, which was a very anti Perone book. And so it was very demeaning towards Ava. And uh, it's interesting now, like people's perspectives on Ava Perone have started to shift, I think, because there's been so much distance. And it's good that people are now sort of thinking of her as like a woman of no means making her way up in the world and then like being a woman in a man's business with government and, and whatnot. However, I think it's important to remember to acknowledge all that while also remembering all the shitty things she and her husband did, or she you know, like turned a blind eye to, which people aren't willing to really discuss as much movie, you know, included moving on. <laughs> uh, there's a moment in Avon Magaldi, which is, uh, which has changed from the studio album to the stage show and then the movie 
which is when Magaldi says, if you were rich or middle class, and Ava goes into what can only be described as an exorcist moment, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when she screams at the top of her lungs, screw the middle classes, um, I will never accept them and they will de never deny me anything again. My father's other family were middle class. I mean, we kept out of sight. And from view at his funeral, the concept album continues with, uh, if these are the people of Buenos Aires, I welcome the chance to shine in their city and to trample their rotten values into the ground. Like <laughs> super Damien in the omen, like Jesus Christ woman. The stage version cuts off that last line. So it just ends with, I welcome the chance to shine in their city. And then the movie changes it completely. And it just becomes like an acapella sad moment. I will never accept them. My father's other family were middle class. And then it ends with him from view at his funeral. And that's the end of it to make her yeah. seem more do sympathetic. All your one night stands. Yeah. Yeah. Do all your one night stands give you this trouble. What I like about it in the show, so like the concept album goes a little too far. It's like that one extra line is just a little too much. <laughs> like I will, I will dance on their graves and I will eat their babies. Like I will make them rue the day. <laughs> but like not even just like a Joan Collins rue the day. It's literally, it's like not a Scarlett O'Hara. I'll never go hungry again. It's literally like blood on her face. I will kill them. It's right. Williams, Bunny Williams, <laughs> death to all of them. King Kong. She wants to stomp them all out in like a single blow. Yeah, it's uh, it's terrible. But then in the movie, they go too far in the other direction where it's like, well, no, this is like, this is her baggage. Her father and his family, it's, it's not right. The show is trying to make it like the beginning of Ava's ultimate struggle, which is like how, no matter how high she climbs, the people she most want, most wants to impress will never be impressed by her, which is right. not really ever discussed much in the script except for like two more times Hal Prince stages it a couple of times to include it but it's not it's like it's not a strong enough thread but that's what they're trying to although start. I mean they do they do I mean I guess they just write a counter melody that highlights that with the things have reached a pretty pass but yeah yeah I guess you're right it is in a very strong thread I just know the score well enough to like feel it throughout yeah, exactly. we know it well enough right. like no it's there and yeah, it, is, yeah, yeah. it is there it's just not there enough to really make it anything especially because the show isn't really about that necessarily like it's the main like obstacle she constantly comes up against but she never really overcomes it. And on top of that, like the rest of the show is more just sort of like, and then Ava did this and then she did this and then she did this. Uh, so there's no right. real, like, there's no even um, Gloria Estefan on your feet situation where it's like, Gloria, you can't do that. Watch me. She did it. Next scene. Gloria, you can't do that. Watch me. She did it. It's more just, like, <laughs> right. it's more just Ava did it. Next scene. Ava did it. Next scene. Ava did it. Um, yeah, it's more like, a, and here's how. Like, <laughs> not even here's how, though. So, like, okay. Buenos Aires is when she gets to the city, right? And this is, and Hal Prince had Chase do a speech where he says about the polo match. And it sounds really random when you listen to the cast album. You're like, why the fuck is Che talking about a polo match between Argentina and England? And what it is is that in the production, Hal Prince had the aristocracy come on like a giant clump to sort of represent, you know, Deborah Class, obviously. And Ava sees them and then tries to sort of seduce them in the same way that she just seduced Magali, showing a little bit of leg. And they scoff at her and go off stage. And so this song that was a moment of like, 
young, bright-eyed, I'm in the big city now becomes sort of like, a, as God is my witness, I'll never go hungry again. Because as everyone else is dancing, Ava, you can watch it in the bootleg with Patty. Like Patty dances for like a second and then she goes back to looking off stage and she's like, she's like going up and down the stage, looking at stage right where the aristocracy went off. And she was like, fuck those assholes, fuck with those assholes. How am I going to be better than those assholes? How am I going to be better than those assholes? I want those assholes to like me. Fuck it. I hate them. I want them. And then the song sort of becomes like a fuck you all. This is my moment where I become me, uh, which is great, but doesn't, you don't get that from listening to it. You only get that from Hal Prince's staging, right? which again, like is wonderful, but that shouldn't be there where I mean, like you don't, they never tell you really how, or they don't, sorry, they, or they don't show you how they tell you how good night. And thank you. Right. Th- that song is literally like four years of Ava's life in three minutes which is fine. We love concise storytelling. However, what, as you, as you said earlier, like what, what does the song chronicle? Right. Her sleeping her way to the top. Mm-hmm. Although you never, uh, you're right. You never see that. You only see her saying goodbye to each man as he passes through her life. And the passage of time is quite unclear. Yes. What what the staging was in the original was it was a revolving bedroom door. And every time a new lover went out and Chase sang good night and thank you, whoever, Ava would come out later on in a nicer robe. So she starts off in like a little slip and then she's in a pretty nice uh, bathrobe. And then she's in like a fucking white satin, you know, feathered yeah. satin thing. Hair's all fluffed. And each verse chasing is like, oh yes, she's in a magazine now. Oh yes, now she's on the radio. Oh yes, now she's in film. And uh, it tells you sort of about her success, but without ever seeing it. And it's a great image and it's really theatrical and fun. But again, it doesn't really show you. The movie shows you, which is nice. What right. the movie, But what the movie also does that I don't like Jonathan in vain of making Ava more sympathetic is Ava's never really doesn't have any agency in good night and thank you in the movie. She's robbed of it by making all of her interactions with these men almost sort of happenstance. And then it's like, Oh, well, if this guy can help me out with my career, sure. I'll sleep with you. And oh, what can I do? This other guy likes me. And he just also happens to be able to help my career. Yeah, totally. It's a, we never see her in this moment of like you, you're the person that until I feel like we get to, Perone, we do get a little bit of that, but okay. not even to the level that it's that it is in the show of like yeah. them being across the stage. Yeah. I also hate that in the movie they keep at the benefit for the her earthquake in San Juan where Perone and Ava meet and she runs into Magaldi and uh-huh. says, she says, Your act hasn't changed much. And he says, Neither has yours. In the show, that makes sense because she threw him out like yesterday's garbage. Right. And she's on the arm of another man in the movie. He fucking leaves her on the street. Like she, like he, she follows him to his apartment. His daughter and wife greet him and he leaves her as they shut the door. She sings a ballad. She's yes. Well, we'll get to that. But when he's like, neither has yours. I'm like, what do you fucking mean, dude? You left her. Right. And now you're just being a slut shaming dick. Like, so go fuck yourself. You didn't know that. You didn't do anything. Yeah. Although that is also a part of the show in the movie that is uh, historically inaccurate as Magaldi was dead by this point in real life. Ah. Yes. Um, it's also unclear if Magaldi was the one who brought her to Buenos Aires. Her family claims her mother brought her and that she actually never met Magaldi. And if she ever did, they never had an affair because Magaldi's wife was infamous for going on the road with him. Uh-huh. She, didn't, she didn't trust him if she didn't. So 
who knows who's right? Who knows? Patty says that Terry Klausner was nipping at her heels and everyone else says Terry Klausner had no qualms being the alternate. So who's to say who's right? Right, right. Uh, I do I do love Goodnight and Thank You though. On a musical level, it's fun. Um, oh yeah, and high belting again. Thrilling belting on, on both sides. Yeah. Who wants a Yeah. <laughs> that is actually a number where I do enjoy Elaine Page a great deal because- Oh yeah. She, it, is, it is on the highlights recording and she she is mixing it, but it's a healthy mix. Um, yeah, it's not the new Argentina thing though, which is just sad now. Or her um, Buenos Aires bridge. Oh yeah. Which oh, yeah. other Ava's do. And, I and her that. and her Olivier rainbow high. Her, I'm Okay. I love me some Paige. Me I'm too. A, yeah. I'm a page. I'm a page turner. Um, but, <laughs> but her Olivier performance of Rainbow High. I am sorry, everyone. It is rough. It is rough. The only thing that I do like is when she does the um, first of all the yarrup um, that like oh, quip yeah. bit. Next yarrup. stop. But then the yarrup. Yarrup. Um, but also the look out. Yeah, and the same boat. When she's screaming, I like it, and like yeah. it doesn't sound good, but it's ferocious. When she goes to make me fantastic, like when 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 Londoners tell me that they don't like Patty's Ava because it sounds like she's screaming, like Elaine didn't scream. I always point them to look out, Maddie, you're up. I'm like that wasn't screaming. She's like she's not even singing. Uh, no, she's literally screaming. Literally, look out. It's so 70s. It's so good. I love it so much. Yeah. I like Elaine on the stuff that's, you know, the quieter moments in Evita because that's because she has a beautiful voice. And I think she was much more control of her belt and her mix later on with chess and with cats. Oh, um, yeah. Evita, there was much more of a break. Um, and so it doesn't do it for me as much. Uh, it also, again, doesn't help that the score was at a deadly tempo in London. Uh, which right. is something that apparently Andrew Lloyd Webber liked because he hated the tempos on Broadway. It's the Broadway orchestrations are the only ones that he had um, an outsider work on because it's usually him and like one other person that he approves of. Uh, so he's like made it a point to never use the Broadway orchestrations ever again, which is sad. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. The song that is added to the stage show that's not on the concept album. Do you know what it is? No. Art of the Possible. Oh, the which something the movie did right is was kind of get rid of was get rid of every production of Evita I've seen. I'm like, yes, the rocking chairs. I get it. They're all waiting their turn and taking each other. God, oh, it's so conceptual. I love how you, I, it's, you you just described a number which at the time everyone like flipped their shit over, and you're like, oh God, I get it. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, I can understand at a time where doing something so conceptual blew our minds, but like we've done that now and that, and the piece doesn't actually tell you anything like uh, the, it's again, it's his staging and not the song that tells the story. And that's yeah. why I, that, that piece, it's really the music there that just, it's it is, like, yeah. it's monotonous you're not really catching the difference from one verse to the next. 
which is also really kind of the point of the song because the lyrics don't mean much they're basically saying like by doing nothing you can do everything in politics and so therefore like the lyrics don't mean much the music as you said is monotonous it goes on and on and on and it's like rinse and repeat uh but that doesn't necessarily make it a good listening experience the only reason yeah and it doesn't feel theatric i mean it feel the the rocking chair thing feels theatrical but something that i i love about i musical theater needs to be able to transition i don't want to see the same production over and over and over again so like yeah it's it's a brilliant image where so basically the whole point of art of the possible was on the concept album it was the song the ladies got potential which was both about ava's rise as an actress as well as weirdly che's incesticide business and it's like singing like uh the chorus is like how all the bugs will fall kapow die and like it's a weird place to hang your hat on rice for these lyrics and so basically how prince was like no one cares about the incesticide business cut anytime it's mentioned which again on the concept album it's brought up quite a few times uh-huh. including um right before and the money keeps rolling it kept rolling in when he's like can forgive my intrusion but fine as the sentiments sound uh, uh little has changed for his peasants down here on the ground on the concept album he's like what about my incesticide business i have all these things it's like what not what no nobody cares shut the fuck up <laughs> um, and prince was like stop it nobody cares he's like what we want to see is a song that shows perone's rise to power and so they wrote the song and prince was like i see it as a game of musical chairs which shows both you know cunning and luck so when you and again you if you listen to it from the opening night soundboard and as the music speeds up for the second verse and the audience catches on what's happening because the first first verse it's dead silence the audience is like what are we watching and then when the first chair is taken away and one general leaves and then the music speeds up the audience catches on and they start to laugh as it continues which and that's nice but yes as we realize what's going on then it starts to become monotonous it's like okay let's get to the last chair already what helps keep it from being a total snooze fest though is ava's bit I am only a radio star with just one week. Oh yeah, the beginning of the the theme. Mm-hmm. The, it's it's our foreshadowing to New Argentina, where she will be literally belting her ovaries out. Uh, so thrilling. What I do love, though, my favorite lyric of it actually is the beginning of it because it's so. I'm only a radio star with just one weekly show. Like, I know I'm extremely famous, but I want you all to know I'm just like you. And it's it's, it's right. <laughs> I, I don't know. It reminds me of those Instagram posts where it's like, oh, I've been dealing with my mental health a lot lately. And it's like them in a pool in Puerto Vallarta looking for right. wearing like a $400 bikini after having just like done their Broadway contract or their film shoot. And I'm like, literally go fuck yourself. They're like, uh, I was feeling really terrible about myself, but my abs. So I just like. <laughs> Guys, we need to stop being so. Um, body negative okay we need to love the skin we're in meanwhile look at how i'm two percent body fat i'm only a radio star with just one weekly show but speaking as one of the people i want you to know we are tired of the decline of argentina with the sign of the government able to give us the things we deserve I don't feel like I ever understood why Perone ended up arrested in the. Okay, 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 okay. yes. We're going to get to that with the new Argentina because it's so different in the show as in the movie. Um, The movie is more accurate to what happened in life, but the timeline is off. Uh, Uh Basically, all that anyone needs to know is that uh, 
as I said, Argentina ha has had a very tumultuous history with its government. Um, there, I mean, there was a genocide in the 70s that like no one talks about, or late 70s, early 80s that no one talks about. That was due to um, sort of a rise in dictatorship there. But the, the army basically controlled the government for a while. And it started because of a military coup that overpowered the government, uh, which then allowed Perón easy access to uh, power and to fame with the masses. Also, another reason why the aristocracy is important in Evita is because uh, the upper crust funded a lot of, a lot of uh, government projects. And so there was like just the the army and the elite were very entwined with each other uh, and and were like their own sort of class uh, in Argentina, right. which, you know, again, the show does not really get into. And the movie kind of shows it visually without ever really explaining it. Totally. Yeah. And what they also don't show you in the in either they kind of again make brief mentions of it and i say this with you know the english stuff and the caucasian european heritage uh and with the british polo match being discussed in buenos aires argentina was heavily dominated by england like england had a heavy influence on argentina up until that time especially during world war ii and afterwards because argentina kind of decided to align itself weirdly with the Nazis and then the Nazis lost and Argentina was like oh well fuck my drag and I guess part of we should harbor harbor lots of them yeah harbor a lot of Nazis while then also going on a goodwill tour to show all of Europe that we mean we mean okay we're we're not so bad all of us look well, at this common girl that rose to the top I mean that's mm -hmm. literally exactly what it was yep and that and we will discuss that with Rainbow Tour uh but also like they, they then tried to assert their independence from England, which is discussed in She is a Diamond, you know, she got she helped us get the English out. Uh, and then a friend of mine has always had an issue in Perone's latest flame with the line, uh, we wouldn't mind seeing her at Harrods, but behind the jewelry counter, not in front. She was like, Harrods is an English department store. Why is it in Argentina? That's a, that's a that's uh Tim Rice being lazy. I'm like, no, there there was a Harrods in Argentina because Argentina was had a lot of English culture about it. Same thing with India for so long. Goodbye. I've just unemployed you. You can go back to school. You've had a good run. I'm sure he enjoyed you. Don't act sad or surprised. Let's be friends, civil boys. And just when you think that Ava is really only taking advantage of the men, we have our moment where Ava's not a feminist. Ava's out for Ava only when she kicks out a young little girl out of Juan's bed to the curb, Perón's mistress, the princess track to end all princess tracks. I mean, truly this and Teen Angel, like this, is, it, it, these are the two like mm -hmm. best, because even the King in Hamilton has to do two reprises. Like yeah. this girl literally just come out and done. Although, although this is a song for me that if I ever was to be in charge, I would cut to like a verse and a chorus and like, get it get get her get her over with like well you answered my, my question for a later question so <laughs> we're, we're really getting we're answering all my questions really early in the game i see what you mean what i like okay so basically what happens is ava goes into juan's bedroom he has a teenage mistress which is the show's uh not so subtle indication that perone was a pedophile or was it was 
accused of being a pedophile by many. And if, if you thought that was subtle, Act Two in Rainbow Tour on Broadway is very overt because he went goes from like a 16-year-old mistress to like a bunch of 11-year-olds on his knee. It's very crazy. Um, I hadn't even known that. Yeah, if you watch the video of the of the original staging, uh, either on Broadway or, you know, the international tour or whatever, like when they're doing Rainbow Tour, he's got literally two little girls on his knees. It's crazy. But Ava kicks out the mistress. Like literally the, the mistress says nothing and Ava takes her suitcase, throws her things in a bag and just like, get the fuck out. She goes, get to Steppen with no uh, sense of compassion whatsoever, which the movie tries to include a little bit of, but it's not, it's like both, it's both Madonna's cuntiest moment in the movie. And also like they're trying they try to soften at the end. Although I still, I still, because the movie was the first thing I ever heard, still Mm -hmm. sing the, you're obviously going through some adolescent phase, uh, which is not, in the actual or is it the phrase right after that it's it's in the concept album but it they cut it on broadway right um because on the concept album she's singing it to the mistress that she's going through an adolescent phase because she's a teenager and then in the movie she sings it to perone to be like you might have uh, been going through a midlife crisis going for a younger woman but you're with me now and i'm a full-blown woman right 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 um still sing that line yes but so Another suitcase in another hall goes to the mistress in the show normally. And what I like about it in the show is that it's the only time we ever hear from someone on a human level, not a satirical commentating level level of someone who's been personally affected by the actions of Ava Perone. Um, And it's not even like super political. It's just personal. And I like that. It shows that at the end of the day, these were these were people's lives that she did these really bitchy things to. So like, while we love it on Joan Collins, yes, work, bitch, wear that fur. Then this heartbreaking song happens with this young woman who's like, I have to start over again. And I just keep getting kicked down and I have to get myself back up. And I don't know what happens now. And see, you're so good. I can't help but go to the cynical place of like, does her pee break have to be this long? Do we, does Ava Perone's pee break have to, can we change her faster? Like, why is this song here? Can we, I, she's just going to be in a robe soon on a bed. Can we just like, can we get this? God. I, I know, I know. And the movie <laughs> tries to solve this twofold. They're like, we can't have this one small character sing alone for four minutes. No one's going to care. But we also can't kill the song completely. And we also want to make Ava more likable. So what do they do in the movie, Jonathan? They give the song to Ava and then give the mistress just like, one little touch of that so you remember how wounded Ava was earlier in the film. And like, she's complete, this is like the beginning of the transition of her power. She's now in the position of being able to do to less fortunate what she had done to herself. Yes. It's like, it's supposed to be like the last time she kicks someone less fortunate than herself to the curb and then we'll start doing good. But, and the movie also like, they have like when the girl sings a little snippet of another suitcase and she's like, where am I going to? And Madonna goes, don't ask anymore. Like both it's like trying to be assertive and comforting, but it doesn't really mean anything when you think about it. Like, what do you mean? Don't ask anymore. That girl's about to go out on the street. You stupid <laughs> right. bitch. 
I, I don't know. That's what she's saying. I, 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 I don't, that sounds like a you problem. Um, mm, um, I hate to be this person, but, um, get to step in, um, where's in the, where's the show? She's like, bitch, get to step in the movie. She's like, I hate to be a Karen right now, but could you get <laughs> totally. um, <laughs> the outcome is the same. Yeah. It's like they're, you're both, no matter what it is, you're speaking to the manager either way, either be a rowdy bowdy bitch or be weak sauce, but either way you want to speak to the manager. <laughs> Either way, you're that woman. You're her. Um, and this is her Victoria's Secret. Yes. Perone's latest flame, known as Dangerous Jade on the concept album. All the song really is, is uh, no one likes Ava. Ava's dating Juan and all the people in Juan's life don't like it. The army hate her. The aristocracy hate her. The staging of this number was so amazing because Hal Prince had the so army... Good staged as wind-up dolls again who all moved in unison in one group and then the aristocracy comes out in their group again and they're sort of swarming the stage they never crash they're always sort of like ships passing in the night and then there's a brief mention that ava might leave polit uh, might leave acting to support one when Che says like uh, can we assume that you will quit is this because of your association with colonel perone but again it's very subtle and short and it's not as overt as it could be the movie opts out of this stark Brechtian imagery and instead goes for beefcake, which I'm not mad about. No, no, this is the shower scene, right? Yep. Which they're and never like, naked though. They're always just in their, they're in boxers, which I don't appreciate. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that was rude. I guess just so that they could distribute it worldwide, whatever. They weren't thinking about me. I'm like, they weren't thinking about us, but I'm like, couldn't we go a little more best little whorehouse with this? Like, just show me some crack. I want a little crack. <laughs> if you right. can't show me dong, show me crack. Right. Or at least like through an opaque, like uh, glass structure blocking the naked body. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> give me just like a hint so that this JCPenney catalog isn't the only thing I'm looking at when I'm 12. Please, God, can we? Uh, I do like this song a great deal. And, um, if you listen to Dangerous Jade on the concept album, you you hear how far it has come to the stage show because all of Chase stuff is not there. The like at the watering right. hole, off the well to do. That's not on the concept album. Uh, right. Which it, it just ties the whole thing together. I like it so much. Also on the concept album, it's even more misogynistic because um, Chase sings, what is the line he sings? Uh, opportunity is back if she can make it if she can make it by her efforts in the sack. Basically, he's like, my incesticide business can take off if she can screw her way to the top. And it's like, I, I don't like that line because the one thing that the song kind of has going for it without it is that you could argue the show's not saying that Ava's a slut. It's just dramatizing what the people surrounding her were thinking. The right that she was a slut. The aristocracy thought she was common. They're like an actress who comes from the slums. No, thank you. And the army literally has the lines like she should know that she's not paid to be loud, but to be laid. Um, right. And yeah, they are misogynistic and uh, classist thoughts, but that's what those people were. Um, and it's also just a good picture of what she was up against. And like, talk about how you paint a saint, you know, yeah. is somebody who is able to transcend outside of what public opinion is. Yeah. I, if I honestly, okay. If I were staging this show, I would sort of hearken back to rainbow high and I would have Ava on stage the entire time, getting herself ready to like either go out or get ready for bed. Like 
undressing or, or dressing up, putting on makeup, sitting there while all the while these thoughts are being sung around her. So she's we are mm. aware that she's aware of what's what she's up against. Mm, I love that. Because she's not on stage for the number. She comes on once for that little interaction with Che. Because uh, it's only there so she can pee. She's got to change. She's got to get ready for New York. She's got summer. another suitcase in another hall. She can pee then. Um, we could, I say have her come back on stage. She's not even singing. She just comes on. She, we, she can even have a giant teacup with water in it so she can hydrate. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want, I, you're thinking, I see you. Yeah, I, she can have whatever she wants. I just think that it's important for the audience to see like, the show itself is not very sympathetic of Ava, but it also kind of wants us to question if we would do the same. And in order for us to have that question, we have to see what Ava, we have to understand what Ava is up against. Um, and who, right. and like the world in which she has chosen to succeed. And that's not always uh, coming across, I think. But we, we digress. Any final thoughts staging. on- Thank you. Any final thoughts on Perone's latest flame? I'm going to tell on myself a little bit talking about staging. This mm. is one of the few numbers that I like, I prefer you do it in the style of Prince. Like it yes. doesn't have to be exactly how it was done, but the number is most successful when you take that concept of the two groups. I love the idea of adding Ava to the middle of it so that you see them moving around her. Mm -hmm. But like, I've never seen this number done successfully any other way. on to a new Argentina, uh, which uh, is one of the greatest act finales of all time. Now, truly. the stage show in the movie framed this song very differently. The stage show, how is it framed? Uh, it is, we see a picture of how Ava controls Perón from the bedroom, um, symbolizing how she kept power over him. Mm -hmm. um, and then she steps forward to address the people from the bedroom mm -hmm. um, while everyone's sort of on the outskirts where the movie actually does what is more true to form, which is Perone has been arrested. Mm -hmm. I still am not clear why exactly. Um, they never say and it. They never say it. Um, and uh, even reading her biographies, like, because it's not so clear. The Anyway, Um and her broadcasting why he should be the vote for the next president yes. resulting into like the election. Yes. So in the stage show, it is his presidential campaign. Um, whereas in the movie, it's a cry to get him released from prison, which then leads into his presidential campaign. Right. Uh, so in what happened in life was Juan Perón was getting too popular with the masses for the army's liking and his, uh, competitors one might say or his enemies are who's to say um in the army uh decided to arrest him to keep him out of the public eye because they thought he was getting too powerful and mm -hmm. that totally makes sense i can't believe that literally never occurred to me i always assumed there was some sort of like because of the coup like they found out he was a part of it or, or like i was well, never they were a part of the coup that's the thing that's what They're I'm always been confused. Because of this coup. You know, it, it, and it shows you sort of like what a mess Argentina was politically in the sense of like 
like this just happened. Like the army just took over because they're like, yeah, no, it's us now. And then like anyone in that army who was like rubbing too many people the wrong way, it's like, oh yeah, no, you're gonna get thrown in jail for a while. And in real life, it, there's no evidence that Ava really had anything to do with him getting freed. It was more just like millions of people were like, no, no, you're gonna you're gonna release him. You're gonna re- right gonna release him. <clears throat> And the army's like, oh yeah, no, totally, totally. We we had no intention of keeping him in here for months and months and months. We just it was just a couple of days. We swear. There you go. Um, and then teach the movie, him a lesson. What? Oh, teach, teach him a lesson. Teach him a lesson. Yeah, and the movie makes it more like Ava gets the masses to do it. That said, I think Madonna sounds her best in the movie. You do not get the same thrill from a new Argentina when she oh, sings it. So when. disappointing. Mm-hmm. And again, like she sounds like you you listen to it, you're not like, oh, she sounds terrible. Like for Madonna, she sounds very strong. It's when you know oh, yeah. when you know what that song is supposed to be, which is like a train going 90 miles per hour coming right at you. It's just like going and going. It's like it's relentless. Thrilling. It's yeah. thrilling when it's done in the correct key. It's uh again, and especially I, I cannot imagine what being in the audience for that first performance felt like having never seen a show where a woman sings at you like that for two and a half hours and having the apex of it right in the center. I, it's incredible. Oh, um, there is a gentleman I know who uh, is very sweet and he's very particular about um, his musical theater. He's been seeing Broadway musicals since like the sixties. And he said that the four most thrilling moments of musical theater for him to this day were Angela Lansbury bowing to silence at the end of Rose's turn in Gypsy, the ghosts appearing in Who's That Woman in the original Follies, what was the third? Uh, Jennifer Holliday, and I'm telling you, and the fourth was hearing Patti Lapone singing He Supports You For He Loves You, Understands You as One of You. He's like, no one had ever yeah. sung like that before. And it was, and not and not to discredit Patty, but it's everything around that like builds you up for it. So like there's a difference between like um bum 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 and bum 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 like it's there's an energy to it, a fire to it. Totally. This is and I and we'll get to this with the legacy, but it's to the detriment of the show that Angela Dupper takes the show this seriously now. Um, because it's the one show that like really has any kind of like weight in the uh, elitist theater community and so now he's like well this is my hamlet so therefore we analyze it to an nth degree and I'm, I'm like well you've also now cut the balls out of it but we'll get to that in a minute you were right Two, Perón has won. Uh, he sing, he speaks to Descamisados. And then Ava comes out in her big old white ball gown, her prom dress, so to speak. She sings Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. And uh, thoughts on the big on the big number? It's my least favorite song in the score. I hate to admit it. Wow. I know. Um, and it's mostly because the song doesn't really say anything. And it's never really bothered me when I was like younger and growing up with it. But as an adult looking at the show, I'm like, she was so passionate in her speeches. And I know we get a passionate speech right after. So you Mm -hmm. get like a taste of that. But like 
it's 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 a fine song for me it's it's one of those like it i skip it on the cast recording usually fascinating um i like i know it. i the gays are gonna burn me down i know i know yeah no, it's fine it's fine it's fine i'm not mad at you there's there are very, very few opinions out there that i would get mad at someone for when it comes to musicals like that is not one of them because the truth is that yes the song really doesn't accomplish anything dramatically it's a speech she gives the speech really doesn't mean anything anything um, but that's sort of but weirdly that's also kind of the point is that it doesn't really mm-hmm. mean anything because we find out it is all sort of for show and a lot of its effectiveness comes from the theatricality of how it's presented to us it's patty in the white dress that we see on the poster in front of the theater it's her ascending to the mic with that you know long intro that's say what you will about the song the music is very pretty so hearing a 30-piece orchestra and those strings play that melody line as she grandly uh promenades to the mics is really thrilling patty's voice belting it out and then her sobbing and the crowds cheering for her and then her doing the pose like it's it's one of those things where it's like it's not dramatic sense but it's chemical like it's totally yeah but then you listen to the lyrics and you're like all through my wild days my mad existence you kept your problem promise don't keep your i kept my promise don't keep your distance what are we what don't like what are we sixes and sevens with you the fuck does that mean yeah well it sounds like a read to me because she's like I'm dr- or <laughs> I know what it really means. I I'm dressed to the nines, although I feel like I'm at my sixes and sevens with you because I'm common. Mm. <laughs> I always took it as like a although I'm dressed to the nines, like it's really like a six or seven for you guys. So like, yeah, you just- <laughs> it's Jenna Maroney. <laughs> Shut up, four is a tennis speaking. Uh- <laughs> One thousand percent. Don't. I kept my promise. Don't keep your distance. What I've lately been feeling about it is to be graphic. Don't cry from your Argentina are the two fingers that are used to prep you before the full on fisting that is, I'm only a simple woman. Because, right. Or even the jaws, listen to that. Because what happens is, is the um, balcony turns around normally and the crowd and we start to see everything now from backstage and this thing that we thought just like totally broke Ava down and her walls collapsed and she was so vulnerable we realized it was all just an act because she whips around like Patty's sobbing on the mics and then she whips around wipes this the tear from her face and screams like we are adored we are loved and she's told uh it's not just about appeasing the peasants and she sings to him we shall see little man which i love i love she just with one flick of her finger um <laughs> which the movie takes away from her i hate that they do that oh they do all so okay i, I to try to keep it from being too much like every time going back and forth to the movie what the movie does for me that i appreciate on a dramatic level is they try to add more shading to ava and make her more of a human being with conflict what they also do is they take away everything that makes her special in the show. All of and her powerful. most iconic moments, because they're kind of bitchy and cold, are taken away or diluted. So after Don't Cry From Me Argentina, uh, 
she sings in the movie like you know we are adored we are loved and she goes off screen and then the general says no statesmanship is more than entertaining peasants and then her mother just looks at him and goes we shall see little man and i'm like bitch bitch yeah it's it's not as interesting it's it just yeah it's no i don't like it and then she then also what i love about the stage show is uh and i wish they did i wish they did this is she says she sings we shall see little man and then the chorus starts to sing evita on na 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 and it's a minute before she goes back to kissing them. I wish that like they there was a little bit longer where she sings, "We shall see, little man." We hear we hear the chorus singing, "Avita Peron." They both look over their shoulders at the crowd singing her name. They then look back over at each other, and she does a little shoulder shrug of like, "Guess it is me after all." And then they mm. flip back around. Um, because then what they do on on the original Broadway company is um, she's kissing, and then you hear the horns go, "Bada," and she like weirdly looks back at the general who told her like that what she's doing is pointless and then she goes back to doing her giant speech i'm only a simple woman which like fucking impregnates you when patty does it she's just like you can't understand (laughs) all of it but the the passion with which she does it just rolls you over like a steam engine it's also i love the the it starts with the i am only a single woman like and it builds mm -hmm. and builds and builds until she's at the well, because on the concept <laughs> album, it's sung and it's not as good. Because, uh, right, I want to do two, five, and it's uh, so Patty, there's still a rhythm to it, a musicality to it, but it is, it starts on, it starts with, it's very precise and not quiet, but like controlled. I'm only a simple yeah. woman who lives to serve that road, and then it builds and builds. I was once, as you are now, I have taken these bridges from the oligarchs only by you. And now we now we have the song that gets both of us pregnant, Rainbow High. Uh, so uh, in our history lesson for this moment is Ava's about to go on the Rainbow Tour, which is Argentina going to Europe and kind of uh making amends with all the with all these other countries after they were Nazi sympathizers, still kind of were. Right, 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 right. And then also to introduce Argentina as like a formidable presence. Um in the world to Europe and Peron powerful. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. And Peron wouldn't do it. Um, and so she offered to, and she like, and Ava was very much known for being fashionable. So this was going to be like her big thing. The movie makes it weirdly also kind of like her being a fashion statement in Argentina before going to Europe. Whereas the stage show, it's more like I'm I'm going to Europe and I'm going to be a politician. So make me look good. And that's the number. Right. Um, and then it's staged with her starting in her slip and then each verse she puts on a new item of clothing. So by the end of the number, she is fully dressed uh, with the, so good. and the best button is she's also surrounded by men, which I love. Um, she has all these men who are working with her and putting her together because again, Ava's in a world of men and whoever the gay is in that ensemble and the Broadway company with Patty, either he hates her or he loves her because the force of which he throws that stole onto her arms is so intense. 
that I'm like, you're either, you either hate her because you want to hurt her or you two are really good friends. And she's like, girl, this is your moment Give as it. much as it's mine. Give <laughs> me that stole. Because it's on the button, dressed up somewhere to go. And the audience applauds and that stole gets put on her. It's awesome. Oh, it's a, a, yeah, it's something I've actually never even considered what he went through because to me, it's just how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. Well, it, it's always put on her at that moment, but like you watch Elaine Page on the Olivier's and like that, that basic gray ass man who just like tosses it on her shoulders, not even on the beat. Or you watch whoever does with Lonnie Ackerman <laughs> and it's like the Lonnie Ackerman guy who's like, I know when I have to do this. I'm also respecting your personal space. And the Patty guy is like, fuck your personal space. This is my moment too. Bam, bam. It's boom, just, uh, boom. <laughs> kapow, die. It's just, again, it transcends dramatical sense and just gets you pregnant. You're not decorating a cover a night on the town. And I'm not a second rate queen getting kicks with a crown. What's your favorite moment in this number? God, I would have to say that it's probably the magical color. They're not decorating a girlfriend night on the ground. Like I love that transition into what this is really all about. Like, it's not just about like, I'm going to go out there and be successful. It's like, I'm not just here to be like some fucking tool i'm here to like make up make myself known and i am going to conquer europe i feel like there's so much agency in that uh, oh yeah transition dress shabbily they notice the dress dress impeccably they notice the woman coco chanel mm. have you seen working girl no <gasps> oh i'm so excited for you because you're gonna watch it. For the, <laughs> you're gonna watch it for the first time. Ah, oh, you're so lucky. You get to experience it. I, Netflix really wanted me to watch it for a period of time. I feel there's a reason. You should have listened to Netflix, but I hear you because whenever Netflix recommends something to me, I'm like, you don't know me, Netflix. But it's. I'm so just good. always like, just because it's gay in '80s, like, doesn't mean that it's going to be probably my favorite movie. Probably. Um, always. it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I think it's probably the '80s movie that holds up the best. But Sigourney Weaver is like inner Evita outwardly. She's like, you know, very calm, collected, like therapist. But inwardly, she's like, fuck all other women. It's me only at the top. And she tells Melanie Griffith, like as a piece of advice, dress shabbily, they notice the dress. Dress impeccably, they notice the woman, Coco Chanel. And that's also Rainbow High. That's Ava being like, listen, if I'm going to get my message across, I need to look fantastic. And she even has the line. She goes, um, my desk commissado is expecting to outshine the enemy, the aristocracy. She's like, it's not only that I have to look good. Like I have to look better than the richest bitch in this country. Totally. Yeah. She, it's, it's Blair Waldorf. Serena Vanderwoodson's come back to town. And she was like, Serena's here. Up my game. She's wearing Chanel. <laughs> I'm wearing Givenchy. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Um, maybe I, I keep bringing her up because I just think she's such a fantastic character, but Samantha Jones reminds me a lot of Ava Perone in the show. 
She's just yeah, like, definitely in uh, in terms of like agency and uh, uh, self preservation uh-huh. slash uh, glamour. I can I, I I can see that. If Faye Dunaway played Samantha Jones, you'd have a Vita. There it is. Have you ever seen the Faye Dunaway Ava Perone film? By the way, I saw parts of it. I saw a scene where she and Juan are in a hot tub together, and I was like, "And I'm out." It ends though before they like ever. Uh, it, it was a weird. I I went rented it as a kid, expecting the story of Evita be told to me in a different no. way, and it it's not. It's not that. The actress hasn't learned the lines. Uh, this is where Ava strips the aristocracy of their clothes. It's the last time Ava and the aristocracy ever interact. Thoughts on this song? Um, I've actually always enjoyed this song just because uh, as uh, I, someone who didn't grow up with a lot of money and has found myself in the situation of like, oh, I'm not, I'm not as classy as all of you. Oh, I see. I see. Um, but it, it's, uh, again, sort of a, a art of the possible where it's like, it's just to get us from one point to another. I think you just like it because it is another suitcase in another hall, but it's just one verse in a chorus. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it also, I, I do enjoy the... Uh, it gives us the idea that even though she wanted to fit into the aristocracy, aristocracy, she wasn't there in order to then become the popular girl and forget all her friends. She was going to go there and like tell them about themselves instead. Yeah, it's it's hard to say what what would have happened if Ava were accepted by the aristocracy because the lyrics imply like. I won't, I won't do any of these things, uh, even if you asked me to do it, but you should have asked me to do it. <laughs> right. They never did. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, we see through the print staging, like from the very beginning of the show, like they are the class you wanted to be a part of. And th- her rejection uh, created a resentment in her that turned into a toxic vengeance. And the only thing that would have undone it would have been for them to truly accept her. Because she would have done, I think she would have done such 180, or at least in the confines of the show, the Ava that is presented to us in Evita would have done a 180. Um, But yes, they have her strip them of their clothes, which is supposed to be a metaphor for in real life, the, or the foundation that Ava started to uh, create schools and hospitals and charities began its funding uh, by uh, dismantling the charities of the elite because like all the all the um, what's the looking for uh, all the philanthropy done in Argentina was done by like high society women and right. basically all it was was like their husbands writing them checks and being like we raised for three million dollars and they wouldn't say like oh it's from her husband and my husband but like the three million dollars that then like would go to whatever and it was like great so I'm gonna take all that money from you guys and give it to my charity and I'm going to dispense it how I see fit. Um, So literally disrobing them. When the money keeps rolling in, you don't ask how. Think of all the people guaranteed a good time now. Eva's called the hungry to her open up the doors. Never been a fan like the foundation never Which goes into, of course, to money kept rolling in, which 
in the movie is just a montage of all the good that Ava does. And Che basically looking at the camera being like, huh, wouldn't you like to have any of this stuff, you stupid bitch? And I'm like, yeah, seems like what she's doing is great. Right. Uh, but the show, there's a verse that's not in the movie. Do you remember the verse in the show that's not in the movie? Uh, correct. Uh, of the money disappearing. Yes. And them, yeah. <clears throat> also something interesting, I watched a documentary of Elaine Page talking about researching this. And she goes to the Casa de Rosada and shows you some of the propaganda films of mm -hmm. the time. And it is very this song. It's very this song? Like, it shows... Uh, oh, totally. Like Ava walking up to a child who's impoverished and then like grabbing it by the hand. And then in the next frame, the child's like clothed and like uh, uh, in like a little toy car that it gets to like ride down the street. It's very, it is very much this number. Yeah. Especially how it is in the movie. Like the, there is a shot in the montage where it's actually my favorite bit of acting from Madonna, which is, um, she's giving shoes to um, children and like they're done in sort of like a factory lineup. Uh -huh. And it's a, it's the shortest of shots. All it is is just her giving a pair of shoes and then standing up smiling for the camera and then going to the next pair of shoes. It's maybe two seconds long. Uh -huh. but my favorite bit of acting from her in the movie in a movie where like, I don't think she's bad in it. Uh, no. And we'll, we'll get to more of that in a bit, but I don't find her all that, interesting that is one of the few times where i'm like there's a vita right there right and yes there's also there's a verse that talks about the swiss bank account where the where a lot of funds are being funneled to the movie cuts this but they sort of visually imply that like yeah funds are going missing <clears> but it's more like it seems like there's one or two bad apples in the bunch that are just like taking some money from the charity mm, what, what's that about like it's never ava it's not a swiss bank account right yeah it really becomes its own propaganda film uh, but again, I think that that's part of their deal with the Argentinian government yeah. to like, let's not talk about her crimes. Let's not make her look like such a hoe. Walter, Ava, and Che. Dramatically speaking, what is this song? Um, I think that they felt like they needed to give us a moment where the two lead characters finally confront each other. Like, I, I truly feel like it's nothing but for audience gratification mm -hmm. of, so that we aren't watching two characters just sing, a, well, one character sing about another while having zero relationship to that character. Yeah. I did love in the movie that they made it sort of her fever dream. Yeah. Like of her having to like confront the people as presented in Che's body. Cause mm -hmm. like, that's ultimately what I feel like the song is about. Like it's finally her like uh, confronting the fact that like, yeah, she did stuff but like also was it for the people or for her or was it just to make herself feel important or better? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I feel like ultimately it's about that struggle and truly from the theatrical device, they just chose to have them sing it together. That makes sense. I always wondered that because uh, I never knew if it was like in the show, 
a meta moment where just like the fourth wall comes down and it's like, okay, these two characters who are never really in the same room ever at all, like have this metaphorical moment together where they get to actually like battle out morality. Um, and then the movie, it's a little more literal, I guess. And I do like that. It's sort of, you know, what, like, wh- why do you do any of this? And it was sort of like, wh- like, does it matter? You have shoes in a house now, don't you? Like, what does it matter right. why I did it? Like, what does it matter how I got here? If I still did good for you, like go fuck yourself. The one thing in the movie that always kind of freaked me out was like the random locations that they sing and dance in, including a slaughterhouse. Uh-huh. I'm like, why? Like, cause one of them is like her old town of Hoonin. And like, okay, that makes sense. We're like going through her past, I guess. But then no, like we're in a slaughterhouse and then we're in a ballroom. It's like, so are we just picking locations? <laughs> it's crazy, crazy. Uh, it's also the beginning of, in the show anyway, of Ava being sick. Cause she's not sick at all in the show until she finally is like, oh, I'm dying. And everyone's like, wait, hmm? say what now? Well, she fell at the end of the waltz. Obviously, obviously she's sick. That's in the movie she for... falls. In the show, it's even this is actually the one thing in the show that I will say in terms of like princess staging that he could have done a little better was like they're doing the number. And I guess like I'm sure Patty's acting indicated that she was like trying to cover pain during the number because she waits till Che runs off stage for her to then like keel over and be like, oh my God, my cervix. Like it's <laughs> she she it's it's very subtle uh not subtle. it's very sudden we're like oh i guess she's dying now and does the actress have gas <laughs> why is she grabbing herself like that oh constipation uh <laughs> ooh, guys i got the runs today uh but yeah ava's dying she and prone duke it out in dice are rolling which is cut to shreds in the movie it's like a seven minute scene in the show it's like one minute in the movie in the stage show, what they do to show you that like things are tense between them, whereas in the new Argentina, they share a bed in Dice are Rolling. They have two separate beds and a door dividing them. Right. Which is uh, an interesting image. Oh, you know what I just remembered also in the movie? After Don't Cry From Your Argentina, right before High Flying Adored, Juan Perón goes to Ava's room. So I guess they have separate rooms at that point. And he goes to her room and she's locked the door. Mm-hmm. and won't mm-hmm. let him mm-hmm. in and in my mind after watching it because I, I re-watched the movie a while ago because I was going to do a video on it uh, for a YouTube channel that I still intend to do one day I just haven't had the time uh, entitled Madonna's Bad in Vida, but it's not her fault and <laughs> and I always imagined that moment was like her being like I don't need to sleep with you now I'm there's I have yeah I'm secure with my position you can go jerk off now Totally. Yeah. I don't know. I like that empowering moment in the movie. <laughs> um, I agree. I feel yeah. the same. I was re-watching Patty's um, I'm Only Simple Woman speech again this morning because I'm me. And after she does the whole like for all of us and everything like stops and the crowds disperse and everyone on the balcony goes off. Like Perone gives her a kiss on the cheek in a very like that'll do pig sort of way. And Patty like stiffens. Like I just won you your second term right now the night of your winning the first term and you're going to pat me on the head like it's it's a it's a subtle moment that i love you've got all the nuances i need to like watch that bootleg the bootleg's so grainy i can't believe it is really grainy but but 
whoever filmed it was smart and focused on her for most of it. So like, even if you can always see right. her face, you can see her bo- through her body language. God bless these people that took in like a desktop computer size camcorder mm-hmm. and documented this history. I, I, I thank these heroes. choice was mine and mine completely I could have any prize that I desired I could burn with the splendor of the brightest fire or else or else I could choose time Ava sings her lament and it's a weirdly like godlike song in which Ava's like, oh no, I I I chose this for myself. Like I somewhere in Buena, in the song Buenos Aires, I made a deal with God and said, if you make me the most famous woman of this country and beloved and like the hottest thing that's ever hit this place you can take me off this planet whenever you want, as long right. as I get to get hit that peak. And, and so it's a, it's a, it's a weird song. Cause it's like her kind of like coming to terms with the fact that she's dying and like owning it and being like, and I guess the only way that she can die without fear is to say like, it's my choice because I made a deal to do this. Right. Um, yeah. And then she sings, Oh, my daughter. Oh, my son understand what I have done which a lot of people don't understand. It's because there was a verse in the concept album that they cut where she sings like, I could make the people of Argentina my children or I could have had, I could have had actual children. And so she's singing like to the ch- children she never had, understand why I chose not to have you. Right. Oh, um, I always took it as like, uh, and I hope that my, the people I considered my children, the the country understands that I'm being taken from them because of all of the good I that like I I lived the extent of, I hope they understand that I did this for uh, interesting. I never thought no. about it. Well, I, I think that's unborn. sort of the point of it now. Especially when you take that verse out, when you add the verse, it's oh, of, I see what you're saying. I yeah, see, I see, I see, when I see, you I see, add I that verse, it's sort of what it make what it ties into um there's absolutely no way you could understand that that's what she means when you cut the verse out <laughs> right no one could get that um we are then informed that she's been embalmed eyes hair must all be preserved and she informs us that her body disappeared for almost two decades and then the lights go out and the audience goes well that was a rousing night of theater right jaunty jaunty ending there i guess i'll stand now not since Hello Dolly have I left on such a high. <laughs> right. Although the crowds went fucking wild for it, but we really weren't doing dark and dramatic like this yet for musicals. I mean, Jesus Christ Superstar, yes, but that's biblical, so it feels different. Yeah. So let's go into that. So f- your final thoughts on the show as it is, like Evita the musical, like, like it, love it. Uh, it is an stuff. It's the it's the way I feel about most Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals. It's like it holds a certain place of nostalgia, mm-hmm. and as a homosexual, there are parts of it that are like ingrained into me and into my soul um, in a way that I'll never forget and that I will love always. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is it like a show that I'm dying to go see again? Maybe if the Ava is going to be like, if I know that's going to be hot, but it's not one that like, although I will say I went on like a high school musical kick of it because it's really interesting to watch kids take this stuff on. Uh-huh. Um, but I would say it lives in a place, in a, in a place of nostalgia where it, it, in the right mood, if it came on my uh, iTunes or Spotify out of the blue, in the right mood, I might not shut it off, but more than likely I would probably skip the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I it's a weird thing for me. I love this show and yet I don't think it's actually objectively any good. I think, <laughs> right. I think there's a lot about it that's great, um, but so much needs to be right about when it's being done for it to work. And that just is not a good argument for quality. Yeah. Um, And again, it it really rests on your leads. Like, again, I won't go see it if I know that the Ava is only going to be so-so. Yeah. If your Ava is only going to be so-so again, and if you don't have a good director, who's uh, inventive and intelligent and uh, really conceptual uh, that you have to be conceptual. Absolutely. Uh, Because you have to be able to, you need your director to be able to make the show make sense. And then also on top of that, you have to have your director make the show exciting. Uh, And then your act, and then you have to have really great singers who can also act. Because like, I think with the other thing is we have these strong singers who don't bring the same like, like heart and blood and sweat and tears on the floor of the stage, like Patty brought to it. And like women after her try to do as well. Like we see very like, calm presentations which leads me to why i think we you like the high school performances so much and why you and i both have happy memories of our uh, high school friends doing it like when you're in high school you don't really know what you don't know and you just sort of throw everything you've got at it totally that wild abandon is what makes avita so special and so when a high school like has voices who can at least back it up like and they just throw themselves into it even if it's kind of like slightly you know, rough or amateur, like there's a rawness about it that's intoxicating. I mean, it's sort of watching documentaries about this musical, how they wrote it, you know, like mm-hmm. they didn't really know what they were doing. And so when you throw someone who doesn't know what they're doing, it it like, it becomes this magical. It becomes uh, Judy and Mickey putting on a show, but with cocaine. Right, <laughs> right. So, and so, solos. yeah. So like Judy and Mickey putting on a show because um, <laughs> they, they also did cocaine. Right. Um, so our aftermath, our legacy, the show opened on Broadway and the critics in America were less than impressed. Uh, it famously did not get great reviews. It did not get panned. But uh, they, it wasn't the hit, but the, especially Jesus Christ Superstar. Being yeah, the... well, so like Jesus Christ Superstar was the bigger album. And the when the show opened, uh, critics basically were like, this is really interesting. I don't know if it's great, but it's really interesting. And then when they were when critics in America were told that Evita was even better and it was this big hit in London, they're like, okay, so like the guys who showed a lot of problems with Superstar, they, they got their act together. They have Hal Prince directing it. So like clearly this is something and then it opened and basically all the reviews were saying it's cast well the leads are good like patty always says like she was kind of dismissed she didn't get great reviews I'm like your reviews are actually pretty solid all the reviews all of patty's reviews basically are like patty lapone is very talented and she's good in the role she'd be better if the role were better um, right 
you know, like the times is literally like she does like says Walter Kerr says like she does about as much justice to the role as she possibly could if only the show did her justice mm. and I'm like Patty like for a person who hated the show you're in that's about as good a review as you're ever gonna get I mean truly yeah um and the critics even liked how Princess staging but basically most of the reviews were just like yeah like the, it it tells you it doesn't show you it's not compelling it's very empty but audiences really took to it. I think because it was so exciting and like, yes, you can pick it apart, but when a show is, when storytelling is effective for you, all the things you can pick apart about it fall away and you just get wrapped up in the effectiveness of it. Um, It's also, it isn't a mega musical, but it's prepping us for the mega musical. Totally. Like invasion. And I feel like, you know, it was, somewhere between the mega musical and a drop set musical. And so to have something on this scale with crazy lights everywhere and a video screen that plays and like no discernible unit set or backdrops that come in and out and like the things that we were used to. um, I feel like as an audience member seeing that for the first time, like you, the show almost doesn't matter quite as much as the experience of being in that theater. Yeah. The good news, guys, is that the show ran for four <laughs> years. It won seven Tonys, including one for musical and for Patty. Do you know the three other musicals Avito was up against that year? No, I don't. Not off the top of my head. Well, they're not really known anymore. Uh, one is Barnum. Uh I know, uh, my, probably my least favorite Cy Coleman, although talk about good staging. Also, and I, while I don't like Barnum, it does fucking peg Greatest Showman. And then oh, Jonathan was very silent on that take. Uh, yeah, no, two things I could care less about. <laughs> <laughs> and I was about to say, uh, Bar- Barnum also gave us Glenn Close. It did indeed. Glenn Close as a musical actress. Do you think it was that Tony ceremony where Patty saw Glenn Close and she said, that woman's going to be trouble one day in the musical field? I feel like Patty would be like, that bitch stole my part? Wait a second. Like, wait a minute. The girl from Barnum? Wait, it's like, wait, you're telling me in 14 years from now, she's going to steal a part from me. With that me. voice? They're going to have to put a clunky key change in to make that work. And a whole bunch of them, actually. Uh, But I digress. That's for the Sunset episode coming up in a few weeks. Oh, man. Um, Another show I could talk for hours about. Yeah, right. Um, Yeah, Barnum, Sugar Babies, speaking of Judy and Mickey, Mickey Rooney and Ann Miller, uh, which I have never seen, but apparently was a lot of fun. And then A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine, which I know nothing about other than Priscilla Lopez won a Tony for it. Yeah, no, the, uh, I would say the only one that I'm even vaguely familiar with is Barnum out of all yeah. of those. And that's just because children's theaters used to do it. Yeah. Let me just give y'all a quick rundown of how this movie came to be as well. And I, when I say quick, I'm going to be as quick as I can because it had a long ass fucking road. This movie was in development from the word go. Like the moment it was coming to Broadway, Robert Stickler was like, great, we're making the movie. And it was supposed to be Barbara Streisand. But then she said, oh, how about um, my ex, Elliot Gould? How about he plays Perone? And they're like, no. And she's like, oh, okay, then. Um, I think also Barbara wanted to 
directed as well. Unclear. She wanted to direct, correct. Yeah. I, I, I believe that's the rumor I heard. Yeah, at the time, I think, yeah, she wanted to direct. Uh, there was also rumors that Meatloaf was going to be uh, Che, and that didn't happen. But uh, Rice and Weber were like, well, Elaine Page is going to do the movie, right? And Stigwood's like, we wouldn't let her do Broadway. You think we let her do the movie? Um, they couldn't find a director for the longest time. They were like, well, Hal Prince's staging made the show work, so maybe he'll make the movie. And then he's like, I made the movie version of A Little Night Music. And they were like, noted, you won't be doing the movie. And <laughs> then uh, they start looking for new directors. They look at Herbert Ross, who did The Turning Point and uh, The Goodbye Girl. And he's actually a pretty solid choice, but he said no. They then sign on Michael Cimino, uh, because he had a lot of success with the deer hunter. Then Heaven's Gate comes out and they say, no, thank you. And they kick him to the curb. And then Ken Russell is officially signed on to direct it. Do you know Ken Russell? Mm -mm. He did the movie of Tommy. Oh, wow. The movie where Anne Margaret bathes herself in in beans, beans (laughs) and chocolate and soap, uh, laundry detergent that all gets vomited out of her television screen. That man almost made a movie of Evita. Uh, and honestly, I would have liked to have seen it. it truly. Yeah. The, uh, the rumor goes that he screen tested every single stage actress who had played Ava, including Patty. Um, he liked Darren Alte the best, which <laughs> I get because she was very pretty, probably very photogenic. And if you've listened to her, Ava, it is similar vocally to Patty's. Uh, and then he decided on Liza Minnelli because the studio wanted a name. They screen tested. But then <sighs> I want to get my hands on that screen test me too so badly i'll bet it's in it's interesting i'll bet that's an interesting screen test a ken russell directed screen test of liza minnelli doing a vita i uh, honestly it should come with a tab of acid honestly that it sounds like when they release it it will just be the cure for hiv Honestly, that—that's the HIV vaccine. We we knew that the government was holding out on it. We knew it, and you just figured it out. Absolutely. Once Kamala uh, becomes president, that screen test is going to come out, and just you wait. Right. That's our vaccine. Um, that ends up falling apart because Ken Russell, the man who made Ann Miller swim in baked beans, sent in his screenplay to the studio, and the studio was like, "Oh right, you're the guy that made Ann Miller swim in baked beans, and this is your screenplay for Evita. No, thank you." Um. Then they looked at Richard Attenborough. He said no. And then he went on to do a chorus line. Whoops. Um, Uh, Worst musical movie ever. Worst. Then finally they're like, okay, it's going to be Elaine Page and the two guys from London. We just need a director. And then all the directors were like, no. And all the studios were like, we're not doing a movie musical with literally actors no one in the rest of the world has ever heard of. Then Franco Zeffirelli, who did the Romeo and Juliet in the 60s, wants to do it. But he's like, I really want Diane Keaton. And the studio's like, stand back, Buenos Aires, la-di-da-di-da, no thank you. Right. <laughs> um, and then Paramount is like, oh, we've been in development hell. We want to sell the rights. Who wants it? And literally anyone wants Evita. We have buyer's remorse on this thing. Then Stigwood's like, okay, Olivia, John, we did Grease together. Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. Let's do Evita together. They're like, Sure. What, but John Travolta is in a box office slump and the studios are like, no, thank you. Then Francis Ford Coppola says he's going to do it. And then Madonna's like, oh, how about me? And Francis Ford Coppola says, maybe. And then Andrew Lloyd Webber is like, well, how would you sing it? She goes, well, you're going to change the keys for me. And he's like, no, we won't. And then Francis Ford Coppola is like, you'll do a screen test, right? And she's like, no, I won't. I just did de- Desperately Seeking Susan. That's my screen test. And he's like, no, it's not. So that didn't happen. Then 
Oliver Stone's going to do it. The man who won an Oscar for directing Platoon. And Meryl Streep's like, you know, I could do it maybe. I couldn't do it eight times a week. And uh, fun fact, no actress ever did do it eight times a week. Elaine Page did it eight times a week for about four months, lost her voice and said, I need an alternate. And ever since then, there's been an alternate for all Ava's forever. Um, but Meryl Streep's like, I think if I had some time to work on it and you gave me like a couple of days in the studio, we could get enough takes together where I could sing the entire thing in the keys. She goes into a studio. They bang out some demos. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice listened to it. They're like, yeah, sounds good to me. Studios. I want those demos. I didn't know they were demos. I've heard Michelle Pfeiffer's, but not hers. The Meryl Street demos. I don't know if they got destroyed or if they're just never coming out, but they like, it was recorded and and it wasn't like real. It was like her in a synthesizer, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But she apparently banged out the entire score just to be like, I want you to know I can do it. So you, we can sign off on this. And they're like, yeah, she can do it. And everything was coming into place. They were going to film in Argentina. Then once again, Argentina, like it does, had a bout of difficulty with its government and its uh, economy. And they're like, maybe now now's not a good time to be filming here. There's kind of a lot of violence going on. So they were looking for new places. Then the budget ballooned to $16 million And Meryl started demanding too much money. And then Meryl's like, actually, I don't want to do this. So she dropped out. And then a week later, she's like, oh, actually, I do want to do it. And Oliver Stone was like, well, I'm out of it. And so it all died. Then it was picked up by Hollywood Pictures, which is owned by Disney. There was a moment where it might have been Gloria Estefan, maybe Mariah Carey. Then, of course, Michelle Pfeiffer. Then finally, Alan Parker, who directed Fame, decides to do it. The $16 million budget that the studio was like, that's too much, becomes $55 million. Then Madonna comes back onto the scene. She writes Alan Parker. She's like, I want to do it. And at this point, Angela Edward and Tim Rice are like, fuck it, just get it over with. Like, you want to change the keys? Fine. She won't do a screen test? Fine. Just make the movie. And they make the movie. Comes out in 1995. And there was a lot of hoopla about it because the movie musical was kind of dead. And everyone's like, this could be the thing that brings it back. Madonna in Evita. And basically, the reviews were like, it's fine. It's not great. It's fine. And everyone thought it was going to be Madonna's Oscar. It was her Golden Globe, but it wasn't her Oscar. Um, and she she beat Frances McDormand in Fargo for the Golden Globe that year. And then Frances oh, wow. McDormand went on to win the Oscar. So that goes to tell you about the Golden Globes. That's why they should be canceled. That's why they are getting canceled. Are they really? Uh, unclear. We're not sure what's going on. They're, they're in, they're in uh, turnaround right now. Mm. But I think if they, I truly think that the reason why they're being canceled is because they are finally owning up to the fact that they made a mistake in 1996 and they should not have given Madonna the Golden Globe for Evita <laughs> over Francis McDormand and Fargo. We're sorry, guys. That was a bit of star fuckery. Apologies, apologies, apologies. Our bad. <laughs> right. We, we'll stop. We'll just we'll stop. Altogether. We'll stop doing that now. We'll actually give it to good performances. What do we think the ultimate uh, legacy of Evita is for Broadway? We talked about the singing. Is there anything else really that it leaves us? Um... I, I, the, I think it's the beginning of the invasion, truly. Like, yes, we had Jesus Christ Superstar, but like, I feel like this is the beginning of us really turning our attention to what the Brits were doing to our uh, mm-hmm. once was happy-go-lucky book musicals and now turning them into long form, almost operetta. Um, I feel like it's real legacy is like serving as a part of that change. Yeah. It's, this is definitely the first of the British musicals where it's 
like a packaged product, if that makes sense, because the production that opens in London is the production that opens on Broadway. That's the production that tours the country. That's the production that goes to Australia. That's the production that goes to Brazil. And that's something we start to see with Cats and Les Mis and Miss Saigon of like, this is the show you will be seeing everywhere. So it's known right. all over the world because all like every, every country gets it exactly the same as any other country. Um, so it's that's also why like the imagery of the original production of Evita is so burned in our brains because that was like how the show was perceived for 25 years. All right, the, the only way, even uh, I remember in the early thousands, there was like a 25th anniversary or maybe 15th anniversary. I don't remember. Can't do math. Uh, uh, you didn't go to school for math. Yeah, I didn't, definitely did not go to school because of math. Um, uh, what was I going to say? That toured with Natalie Toro and Raul mm-hmm. Esparza. That was, again, just the full how print staging, no one trying to do anything new with it. Yeah. People are trying to do new things with it now because we had the Broadway revival in 2012 that transferred from the West End, which was a whole new staging. And I don't think it was good, like Mm -mm. at all. I think it it sterilized it so it tried to make it too real. And the show does it doesn't exist in real context. Yeah. So this is what I was kind of getting at earlier was like Andrew Lloyd Webber had even bigger successes than Evita since Evita. Like Cats and Phantom, obviously like huge 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 global phenomenons but also Avita was like weirdly the last time he was taken seriously because the reviews for Avita are dismissive but they're not dismissive of like oh this like pulp stupid shit they're like this thing that could have been really interesting just doesn't go deep uh mm-hmm. and these artists should try better next time but like once Cats hits no one ever thinks that Angeloid Weber can do better than mediocre um, right uh and so it's like a weird like kind of high point for him and so he keeps coming back to it because now Avita's been deemed a classic and like a great Angela Weber score and show so he keeps coming back to it and like making it more dramatic and like serious so it's slower and it's more real and it's uh as you said like more uh naturalistic and that's not how the show is written that's not what made it successful to begin with it's not what makes it exciting the one thing that Revival did do is it broke the dam from the Hal Prince staging. We're like, okay, let's tr- see what other versions can be. Um, and there was the City Center one, which apparently was decently successful. Uh, Regents Park Open Air did a Revival that apparently was pretty good. That was going to transfer before COVID. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you're right. It being the beginning of the British invasion as we really know it is its big legacy. And then uh, how we've made men and women sing on Broadway. Uh, totally. Overnight. Totally. Huge transition, like, especially for the women. <coughs> Pardon me, because uh, I, while Che is a much different vocal type, it didn't become as iconic as the, once Ava sang that way, we wanted our women to sing that way. I would mm-hmm. say we had a few more scores before we got to like even Phantom, the Phantom falls in a more legit classical easy even though he has some high b's and things yeah. like like we don't really get to the male rock voice well i don't know that's not true because we have hair and things like that too yeah but, but again an- those are anomalies and and broadway took a really long time to catch up with contemporary music um like it, it what by the time broadway tried to catch up with like the rock movement it was already the mid to late 70s and america <laughs> right. was and like it was over you know like we moved on we're on to new right. things um yeah it's a, it's interesting for sure. Okay, final wrap up. 
rapid fire questions and then we're going to call this a day. All right. <clears throat> you already answered this before. We're going to say it again. Fall too many notes for my taste. What song would you cut if you had to? Another suitcase and another haul. Mm. I dreamed a dream cast. Who would you love to see in this show? I mean, this is a tough one because I feel like the person that I want to play Ava isn't famous. You know, like whoever it is, um, I will say uh, something I wish the world could hear is I saw Lindsay Mendez do it in high school um, for like a 20 minute thing. Uh, she went to the Orange County High School Performing Arts and their benefit, uh, they would do like a 30 minute truncated version of a big show. And so they did Evita for her and she was Ava and she fucking killed it. That is insane. Um, um, but I... I'm going to choose Ava Noblezada. I'd really like to hear her sing this score. Ah, oh, yes. That, that, and she's got the kind of singing energy. style that I want. Yeah. Energy yeah. Energy. And it's the, for me, it's like, she might be a little uh, forward for what I would normally like an Ava to sound like, but mm. I, she's got the danger. And that to me is the most important thing. And like that sense of power and vulnerability, I, I, I think she would really kill it. Absolutely. I love that so much. Oh, that is a good choice. Well done. Rainbow High Spectacle. Do you think the show needs production value to work? This is something I'm asking for all the British musicals because of how we view them. Uh, can it be stripped down to almost nothing and still be effective, do you think? I think the show would be beautiful with basically nothing. I think mm. there's a great way to do it. Um, in fact, my friend did one that was like a seven person production. Um, and was telling me about it. And I was like, that sounds fucking brilliant to have it like just be all men and the mistress. Um, and like I, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what a stripped down version of this. I think it just has to, again, be directed from a conceptual place. Absolutely. Personally, what is your ultimate rating for the show? Uh, from scale of one to 10, one being no, 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 no way. And uh, 10 being now and forever. That was both a six reference and a cat's reference for everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Um, I'm going to give it a seven because of nostalgia. Mm. I'm going to give it a seven as well. A gentleman seven. Uh, yeah. It, because, dependent on the cast and the crew and the staging, if it is well staged with a good amount of energy and an Ava Noblezada type singer is Ava, an 8.5. Totally. It, 100%. It is one of those shows where it's like on its own, a probably five, like between six. a six uh, yeah mm -hmm. a, between a five and like a 6.5 and if it's done really poorly you know barely can make it to a two but if it's done really well all, all of a sudden shoots up to like an 8.59 totally really one of those fragile shows uh, jonathan this has been wonderful thank you for joining us on the breakdown today oh my god it was so much fun i again was so nerdily excited all day i hope that uh it lived up to your expectations Absolutely. I'm sorry for dragging it on this long with my tangents. Oh, and my tangents. Well, we'll see how uh, much I edit out of this. This will be a long episode. These are long episodes in general, but um, for any, I don't know how long this episode will be, but just so anyone uh, complains about the current length, just know we recorded for three hours. So <laughs> however long the episode ends up being, we recorded for three hours. Uh, good night and thank you. Um, yeah. Where can people find you if you want them to find you? Um, well, if you're listening to this, you're probably a Patty Lapone fan, in which case I will guide you to my Instagram and TikTok, which are both at 
inappropriate patty, mm-hmm. um, which is harder to spell than you think. Um, Cause I'm still learning. We didn't go to school for learning. <laughs> well, and also like, spelling. God, there's just so many P's and uh, it's just, it's uh, a, it's it's a lot of much. P's. Yeah. Um, Wonderful. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Matt Coplick, usual spelling. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe, uh, follow it. I was trying to think of who we should close out as our diva. We usually close out with the diva, Jonathan. Um, mm. and I was looking through the list as you were uh, talking about your Dreamcast. We've done literally other every Ava. We've done Elaine. We've done Patty. Uh, we even have done Lonnie Ackerman. So... <laughs> Uh, I mean, she's your, incredible. She Oh, she's wonderful. She adds an extra G to a new Argentina. But between Ava and Lindsay, who would you like to close us out today? Because uh, I grew up with her. I'm going to go ahead and say Lindsay Mendez because child childhood, you know. Love to see got, it. Got to um, represent. Wonderful. So thank you for listening, guys. Uh, join us next week as we do a deep dive into some works from the National Theater with a breakdown favorite catch you next week bye Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.